0: It's amazing what can happen in just two years' time. Do you all recall Alex Grinch's first spring practice at Oklahoma? Let me refresh your memory. Here's a clip from late March of 2019 of me asking Alex Grinch if he'd made any position changes recently. You've said that you wanna get players in their positions as soon as possible, you wanna waste any time. This is the last time we talked to you. Has anybody switch spots anywhere? To uh, no,
1: up? not at this point. Not at this point. We're very, very thin in the secondary, which is alarming. Um, just from a, a depth standpoint, we have got some some young guys coming in the fall. we're going to plug in, and I, I probably echoed that maybe maybe across the board. Probably, probably a little bit more, more more thin than we should be at Oklahoma, but uh, um, but that also is a great opportunity for the guys getting reps. And so, you know, the thing I told the guys the other day, I keep giving you guys the the inside scoop on our defensive meetings. But the thing I told the guys the other day is, don't don't ever say you never had a chance to play at Oklahoma because right now, <laughs> you know, whether you're a walk on, whether whether you know you, you thought you were just going to get a jersey and Uh, a couple square meals on a Friday before a game. I mean, you you got a chance to, to get reps out here and you better take advantage of them.
0: Again, that was late March of 2019 from Alex Grinch. Depth in the secondary was, quote, alarming, and he added that across the board they were, quote, maybe a little more thin than we should be at Oklahoma, end quote. I remember Grant and I talking about those comments way back then. The thing that most stood out was Grinch's brutal honesty. He didn't sugarcoat anything. As time went on, and we all saw the secondary's lack of depth with our own eyes in the 2019 season, it was clear that Alex Grinch was a straight shooter. I mean, Pat Fields and DeLarian Turner-Yell rarely left the field in 2019. Oklahoma didn't have anybody else at safety who could spell them for extended periods of time, besides Justin Broyles. And I told you last week in my 2019 Buki rewatch that also included other defensive backs that Broyles was the only player in the secondary who I graded out with negative points during the 2019 season. All right, so you heard Grinch's comments from March of 2019 just a moment ago. Now let's fast forward to March of 2021. Now we played these comments on the show last week from Alex Grinch, but this sound is worth playing again after you just heard that last clip from 2019.
1: You know, I'm going to plug all of our, our, our freshmen that are in here uh, right now. I, 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 it, it's as good as a group that uh, uh, I've ever been around. And that's, that's, you know, let's throw high expectations on, on, on some of these guys. Probably not real smart on my part, but I, I I'd also want to challenge those guys. That we, we, we say that now, and it's talking about it Trell McCutcheon. You know, we talked about Billy at Jordan Mukes out of Choctaw, who, who's, uh, you know, Keisha Lawrence, who just walked in here, Clayton Smith, and Ethan Daz, Isaiah Coe. I can go on and on and on and on uh, about that group. Um, I, I, seamless is probably not the right word, but uh, uh, I, don't, I don't think any group in, in the country walks in in, in a January, uh, especially coming off the year that we had, and and really has hit the ground running. And that's, that's been, and I bring that up specifically to be, because we're getting quality reps out of them already, day one, uh, with, with a guy like Pat being out and some other guys dinged up and some of those things, that 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 makes it a lot more enjoyable. That you're not just correcting everything that they do. You know they're going to screw up because it's their first day. They're a high school senior. Uh, a lot of credit goes to them because you know Jordan Mukes showed well today. The McCutcheon as well. You know, so all that stuff uh, um, gives you an opportunity. And the good thing is, uh, thus far, they've taken advantage. Of-
0: in two years, Oklahoma's depth in the spring went from quote alarming in the secondary and across the board. More thin than we should be at Oklahoma. Two, Alex Grinch not even commenting on Oklahoma's depth last week. Most likely because, by my count, the Sooners have at least nine defensive linemen who will start and/or could significantly contribute in 2021. At least 10 linebackers who will start and/or could significantly contribute in 2021, and 15 defensive backs who will start and or could significantly contribute in 2021. Further, instead of commenting on depth, Oklahoma's defensive coordinator went out of his way to heap high expectations on the entire defensive freshman class. Now, we've established Grinch is a straight shooter. I trust he's not blowing smoke up our backsides. Now, you all know me. I'm pretty realistic and down to earth when it comes to pretty much everything. With that being said, I'm already starting to buy in to what Grinch is telling us. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest.
2: Now I feel like it's, a, it's the actual culture of the defense, you know? Like, the new guys came in, and they didn't have to be taught to run of the ball. They didn't have to be taught to that takeaways. Like Coach Grinch always says, takeaways equals victory. And, like, they came in, the new guys came in already on that mindset. So that's how you know that the Grinch effect is now a culture here, you know? Like, it's already instilled in the defense for sure.
0: That's junior linebacker David Agwebu from Monday afternoon, heading into year three. Alex Grinch continues to make his mark on this Oklahoma defense as the Sooners continue their transition from laughingstock to legitimate. Hey everybody, coming up on the show today, I've got a list of five defensive players who interest or intrigue me as Oklahoma continues to work through spring practice. We've got a few listener questions and comments as well to address, plus general news and notes surrounding Oklahoma Sooner football since the last time we talked. And there's a good chance other random stuff will come up in conversation because it always seems to go that way. Now before we bring in Grant for the first time, just want to remind all of you to stay up to date with us on the West of Everest Facebook page. You can leave us ratings and or a review on iTunes if you'd like. And you can follow Grant on Twitter at Grant Benson 25 and I am at Lee Benson News 9. Now it's time to turn our attention north to Minnesota, because that's where Grant is. As you bring him in for the first time, what's going on, Grant?
3: Uh, nothing much. Uh, I wanted to say this last week uh, before you you posed me a question to open the show, uh, but I'm bad at Twitter. I never tweet. I probably never will tweet. Um, you can still follow me if you want to, but I just <laughs> there's 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 people who are talented at Twitter, and I'm I'm just not one of them. So I wanted to throw that out there, just in case anyone is. Disappointed with my my Twitter presence. I am a lurker. I very rarely talk to people because people are scary.
0: I think a wise man or woman once said, "Never tweet," and I think you're following that advice.
3: Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's just too. It's it's. I mean, Twitter right is all about it's. You're supposed to tweet what you're thinking in the moment or like just a you know a, a fleeting thought that goes through your head. And a lot of the times, people shouldn't hear those because a lot of the times they kind of suck. So. We're in a civilization, which means people are civilized, which means they should think about you know, doing things before they tweet or speak, and I take that to the extreme, I just don't ever tweet, or speak, for the most part.
0: All right, before we get into the meat of the show, there is something, I'm trying to find it now, I wanted to bring up to you, that goes along with my opening take, did you happen to read the opening take? Yeah, I read it. Because you never, okay, yeah, because just behind the scenes, we always do our takes, off of uh, off the podcast, so we never hear each other actually do it. We so, but we write it out so we can actually read it. And so I'm looking through our our old rundowns, Grant from 2019 from Spring Ball 2019, because I was using that as as a as a as a helper to fig- to remember what Alex Grinch was saying back then. Because I I recall that whole thing about the depth being bad, and so I found it. So just uh, <laughs> remember injuries in spring of 2019. That was a big reason why the depth wasn't great. But I think. Even if these guys weren't hurt, I still think the depth we would have found out in the future it was still the same thing because I'm looking back at uh, an opening take I did from April of 2019, and so there was three defensive backs that were out for the entire spring with injuries, and I'll go through these three guys, and I think even if they were available in the spring, I don't know if that would have helped much. Uh, Okay, first one was Robert Barnes, which... I had an affinity for Robert Barnes for a long time and he had some moments at Oklahoma. So let's not shortchange Robert Barnes too much.
3: Well, I mean let's but let's let's give him credit though for the first time because he came back to life after being killed by Josh Jacobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh I mean was he still injured from
0: that hit in spring of twenty nineteen, potentially? I I, I don't, think I don't, so, yes. I I, I, I think act, that was uh, the case, but I, I can't I really be surprised. Now, yeah, that may have been the reason why he didn't participate in spring of twenty nineteen. And also, Robert Barnes came back and actually contributed somewhat in the 2020 season. So, good for him. And now he's off to, what, Colorado? So, good luck to him there. But the other two names of players that were out for spring of 2019, Jordan Parker and Starlin Baldwin. I, I just, I don't know if, and so, those three guys were out. And there were three players that weren't with the team in spring of 2019 that were set to come in in the summertime for Oklahoma. And what a huge difference in those three names I just mentioned that were injured but on the roster, Barnes, Parker, Starlin, Baldwin. And then the three players that were going to later come into camp in the summertime, Woody Washington, Jaden Davis, Jeremiah Credell. And here we are a couple of years later. One of those guys for sure is going to be starting. I mean, unless something crazy happens. Woody Washington's probably got one of those corner spots on lockdown. he He was there the – a large portion of the end of the 2020 season Jaden Davis is, is a veteran at this point I mean he's seen a lot of time in 2019 2020 and then you have Jeremiah Credell, who we'll talk about a lot today Cradell is somebody who is looking to be a starter at the nickel position so interesting names there huh Grant
3: yeah the hype train for Jeremiah Credell has absolutely left the station um it feels like there's definitely a narrative that's being spun right now about him, and I hope that it's true. We'll see. But like, also at the same time, I'm glad, you know, you bring it up about how sort of negative Alex Grinch was when he first got here, and you use that as evidence to say this guy's a straight shooter, and if things are bad, he's going to tell you. Um, and I guess you know, there's a lot of credibility there, and if he's saying that Jeremiah Cradell has made that huge jump, then I think you got to believe him. And also look at the writing on the wall. Uh, Buki leaving, and I, you know, I said last week, I hope this is the reason why he's leaving, and uh, we'll see. I don't know. He's you know, he's been pretty impressive with the media. He said a lot of the right things, and I know you you have some sound clips that you're going to play and stuff like that. But there was one thing, uh, you know, that I saw from the transcript from from the media availability that really stood out to me, and it was sort of evidence to me that Jeremiah Cradell gets it. He understands, and he said something on the lines of when he chose to come to Oklahoma he knew it wasn't going to be all glitz and glamour. He knew when he got here, you know, because he was coming from California and he knew it, it wasn't going to be pretty. He knew as soon as he got here, he was going to have to work and he was going to have to earn everything that he got. And I just, I, I think it's really unique, especially in this generation for for kids like him. And I, he's what, 20, maybe 19, he's early, early 20s. To have that sort of mindset is not normal. Um, and I think, I think we can all agree, people who have played sports at a high level, sports kind of breeds that sort of mindset a lot of the time but at the same time it's still nice to hear someone say it because that that's evidence of you know something that not a lot of people have which is self-awareness
0: I'm with you and I'll talk more about Cradell later in the show I that's he's one of my five players not surprisingly so uh, he's he's one of the guys that I'm interested slash intrigued about so we'll We'll go more in-depth about what he said, and I'll play some sound from his press conference, his Zoom press conference from Monday later in the show. But I want to get the show going with a listener question that we did not have time for last week, and I think this question actually is better suited for today based on what I said in the opening take. So let's go to Justin from the Facebook page. Justin says, Alex Grinch talks a lot about wanting a ton of depth at every position, I feel like there is a good mix of talent at all the positions on defense, but they probably need one more recruiting class to have the depth they will want, even though it will still be young. Do you guys agree? And if not, do you think they already have it, or do you think they'll still need two or three-plus years of recruiting classes to build up the depth? And so I think that, that question fits right in with what we talked about in the opening take a little bit. And so my first thought is – of course, one more recruiting class is always going to help, but I think right now Oklahoma's in a good spot. I think they have solid players from, let's see, I, I suppose Woody Washington and like a DJ Graham. I mean, those are guys that Grinch brought in, so those are his players. I suppose Jaden Davis, I think, is still technically from the previous regime, and he's a guy that will give you good snaps. And obviously Pat Fields, DeLarion, Turner Yell, but they're established veteran players to where you're okay with them in the lineup. And then you add in these new players. I mentioned the opening take when it comes to the secondary, I counted this and I, this, this could be, uh, there could be more than this number, but at least 15 defensive backs are relevant, whether they're going to be starters, obviously, or you could see them, you know, trying to get playing time. Then aside from that, I counted at least nine on the defensive line, could be low on that too, might be 10, might be 11, This is just based on my opinion. And then at the linebacker level, I think there's about 10 guys that could be starting and contributing. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big number at each level in my mind. I guess it always could be more, right? But to me, it seems like a pretty big number. So I kind of think they're there right
3: now, Grant. What do you think? I mean, this is kind of the question of the season, right? I think we're going to be able to answer this question as the season goes on, and so I think it's I think it's really important to upfront acknowledge that it's it's extremely unlikely that OU is ever going to get to the heights in recruiting that Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State are at. That's just probably not going to happen. It, it might happen for one recruiting class, or you know, every now and then, uh, but the chances of them you know ever fielding a roster with eighty five percent blue chips that's that's probably not going to happen. But that doesn't mean you can't have a ton of great players on your team. And I, actually, their, their rise in recruiting actually, in, in some ways, mirrors Clemson, who didn't actually start to graduate into that elite, elite recruiting until just the last like cycle or two. Before that, they were, they were winning national championships with recruiting classes that were not in the top ten a lot of the time. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't have great players. They did. They found them and they developed them. But to answer Justin's question, I... I Obviously, they're closer than they have been in the past. And when I go up and down the roster, I start—I mean, I start to look at, especially guys in the defensive back room—and I think to myself, "Man, we're a long ways from Dakota Austin starting in the secondary." Um, And and I I just—I think, ever since this sort of new uh, kind of the new juice that they've had in recruiting, which kind of started with the 2017 class. Since then, they've only had one class that's been ranked outside the top ten. And that class, even you know, in terms of average star rating, was in the top three in the country. I think, so they're there. They're at this point now where they have a lot of really highly recruited athletic guys at at essentially every single position. Now that doesn't mean that those guys are going to develop well, but geez, I mean that just that wasn't the case in the early 2010s when we were we were just we were crossing our fingers and hoping three like random three star guys out of you know out of Houston and Waco in the DFW area. We're gonna pan out. It's like you know, guys like Khalil Hotton come to mind. Guys like PJ and Banasor. You know, and it's we're a long ways from that. A really long ways from that. In terms of in terms of athleticism on the roster, and in terms of talent on the roster. Uh, you know, I mean, this is I, I think this is the most talented team that they're gonna roll out. I, I mean, probably since 2011 is is what I would put up there. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people would argue that last year's team you know, it it could be classified, you know, more in that, in in that line as well. So he says two or three more years. Yeah. I mean, I think in two or three more years, their blue chip ratio is going to be higher. They're going to have, they're, they're probably going to get, you know, better players, but in terms of having the depth that they need to compete for a national championship on the level of those, those kind of like monster programs, I, I, I think they're probably there right now. They, they just, they, their blue chip ratio has never been higher. It's, and also just I the guys that they've that they've, you know, transplanted into the program, especially these freshmen who should still be in high school, man, a lot of them look physically ready. And that that just hasn't been the case in, in, in you know in, in recruiting years past. So like yeah, I mean I can't it's I'm really excited. And I know you you said this in your, you know, in your opening take as well. I'm getting excited to the point where I have to kind of calm myself down a little bit. Um, because you know, when you when you read these press clippings, and uh, it's man, they might be there. They they may be setting themselves up for a special season. But of course, there's there's that little tick in my head that says, ah, just you know, just wait for the heartbreak. But mm-hmm. hey, man, this this team is saying all the right things, and it's like they, they have the attitude, you know, of a team that doesn't accept that. Just it's just not going to happen. And so, ah, uh, man. And I got p- some
0: sound from from a later in the show that backs up that a little bit too which i was happy to hear on monday yeah and
3: i got you you sent that over before said, and i'm i'm glad when we get to that cuz i got a lot of thoughts on it um like i said yeah this is if you know in in professional sports uh, a lot of the time people talk about winning the press conference right when you're first hired as a head coach or anything like that this spring i mean these the the players on the team and the coaches are winning the press conferences they're saying all the right things and that's it's that's kind of weird, isn't it? because we're not that far removed from us being really critical of Lincoln Riley essentially every single time that he's in front of a camera um and I, I feel like that's that's sort of died down a little bit, has it not? Well, Riley's you know
0: maybe you're just you're thinking so much about all the uh perceived quarterback battles that were not really quarterback battles and for the first time in a while going into an off season, I guess. I mean, Jalen Hurts was kind of obviously going to be the starter, even though they still tried to pretend for a little bit that he was, he wasn't the main guy, but now, I mean, we're not going to mess around with any of the quarterback talk. It's Spencer Rattler. So that's not going to take up a bunch of random useless time. So there's that other than that. I, I can't really think of any other, I mean, there's other things that there's other Lincoln Riley things that I'm sure will come up as the season goes on that will remind us of, Oh yeah, this is what he, this is his style. This is what he does. But, uh, that's okay he's a professional and and he knows exactly what he's doing out there but to get back to uh, you know I mentioned all the the different numbers the the depth across the line I just want to go and then I just I'm going to the roster right now and I did this earlier and that's how I counted up the numbers of 9 10 and 15 and so I'm just gonna do this off the top of my head kind of and just here's the defensive line and I mentioned nine and and I'm not I don't know if maybe you count Grant or whatever but listen to these names of guys because I mean Everybody I'm going to say here has either already been a contributor last year or they, uh, they've been talked up, and like it's, it's reasonable to expect that they're going to be potentially getting snaps. Obviously, you got Perrion Winfrey, Reggie Grimes, Jalen Redmond's back, Jordan Kelly's back, Josh Ellison, Corey Roberson, Isaiah Coe has been talked up a little bit by Alex Grinch is one of these freshmen that have come in. Uh, somebody named Isaiah Thomas, pretty good. LaRon Stokes. I'm interested in the development maybe of Marcus Hicks as well. Those are some names. All those guys, I mean, Marcus Hicks has been injured the entire time. Maybe, maybe he won't get injured this time. But, I'm just, but, I mean, at minimum, I think that's eight or nine guys right there.
3: And you're not even, you're not even counting the two, the two rush linebackers who are going to be you know, lined up on the line of scrimmage with Nick Benito, who is maybe, coming into the season, the best pass rusher in college football. And then you got Marcus Stripling, who, when he has been in there at defensive end, who has now moved his position, he is. I mean, he's he's energetic, isn't he? Man, he he goes, and so like, and, and I think I think everyone agrees that you know that that position is probably the best for him. But um, that's that's eleven guys right there, and you're not even so counting. I was
0: actually I was going to go to the I was going to go to the linebacker level too, but keep going because yeah, I I I had um, Stripling and Benito obviously in the 10 at the linebacker spot. So uh, you got th- those two players you just mentioned, Stripling and Benito, obviously. Agwebu, uh Shane Witter played a little bit last year. Who knows what's going to be going on with him? you got Caleb Kelly coming back. Hopefully he can stay healthy and contribute in some way. Obviously, Deshaun White and Brian Asamoah. I know that everyone's going to roll their eyes, but still he's a guy that gets snaps, Brian Mead. Joseph Wete is there as well. And who knows about Jamal Morris? He's kind of a guy that's been kind of around. So I, I think that number there of the guys I mentioned is about nine or 10 for the linebacker group. signed by right, Grant?
3: Yeah. And you know, I, geez, I'm, I'm looking right now at, at the defensive line, just on the roster and stuff like that. There's only, there's there's one guy, a scholarship player that we just don't know a whole lot about yet, and that's Noah Renze. Um, and then other than that, the only other defensive lineman on the roster, Lee, is Dominique Jones, who is a walk-on. And so you're talking about Literally every scholarship player that they have in that defensive line room is probably going to be a contributor this season, and that is that's not normal. That is not normal under any circumstance.
0: So they also have this kid who's a redshirt sophomore named Reed Lindsey. He's from Clinton High School in Oklahoma. Clinton's a real small school in Oklahoma, and he's uh, he's on the roster as well. I I'm assuming he's a walk on. I haven't seen much from he him. Is. But he's he's big though. I mean six. Is, oh, you mentioned only scholarship player, right? Okay. Uh, but he's 6'4", 270. I mean, who knows? I don't, but, yeah, there's so much competition there on the defensive line. And I wanted to get to the secondary final because I mentioned 15 guys. Start with the corners. You got Woody Washington, Joshua Eaton, Jaden Davis, Latrell McCutcheon, DJ Graham. Those are the corners. Then you got the guys that are listed as defensive backs. So, essentially, your nickel-type position guys. Billy Bowman, Key Lawrence, Justin, Her- Justin Harrington, Kendall Dennis, Jeremiah Credell, Justin Broyles is still here. And finally, the safeties, of course, you got Pat Fields and DeLarian Turner-Yell along with Bryson Washington and Jordan Mukes. I mean, that, that's a lot of names there, Grant, and there's only maybe, I, don't, I mean, there's, there's some unknowns, obviously, but you mentioned it a little bit earlier, going into this year, you look back at a year like 2019, and you mentioned kind of the, even before then, the 2015-16 type defensive backs in the program, and you're not rolling your eyes a whole lot at a lot of those names. I just mentioned off. I mean, legitimately every one of those guys are players that could play a lot of snaps.
3: And that's where the optimism comes from, right? It's just, you, you can go up and down the list and you can, you can make a case for even, you know, any of those guys who aren't starters or even the young guys. And you can, in your head, you can kind of make a case that makes sense. That doesn't seem that out of line. And so I, it's, Going back to the question that Justin asked to start the show, they, they might be there. But, of course, you know the, the, the proof is in the pudding. We will see once the season rolls around. Now, is it likely that, that literally all of these guys are ready to play right now, right away, and that it's just going to be an absolute bloodbath and practices just trying to compete? That's not likely. But can you imagine if it is? <laughs> but what if it is?
0: If anybody out there ever watched The Grinder with Rob Lowe, I just imagine uh, one of his lines was always just, but what if it was? They would say something that was obviously not true.
3: And I like how you bring say, up that show. Like it's just, like it's, it's kind of known that it was a thing. Nobody knows that yeah. show is a thing. I, I kind of feel I like know. you were probably the first person to mention that show in the last two years on planet Earth.
0: Well, it's one of, those, one of those shows where if you know, you know. And perhaps somebody out there that listens to West of Everest also watched The Grinder and understands the reference. I I won't belabor the point. We'll move on from there. In other news, we're launching
3: a new podcast where we just talk about random TV shows (laughs) that nobody cares about.
0: All right. We do have some more listener questions that I will hold for the end of the show. Because the next order of business is my list of five defensive players that interest or intrigue me as spring practice continues. I'm going to go from five to one, one being uh, who I'm most intrigued by. And I will say that at least one of my selections includes two players, so going
3: to be cheating a little bit, but it'll make sense once we get there. Uh, Grant, so I would something. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, let me let's just kind of like get a little clarification here. So you, it's it's just your your criteria here is just what players interest you. It's not like most important players to have a big spring, kind of like mine was a few weeks ago. It's just more players that you think are <clears throat> players that you think are interesting heading into the spring.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm curious. I'm interested. I'm intrigued to see how their development progresses throughout the spring. What coaches say about them, what they say, what teammates say, and then obviously what we see in the spring game. Just kind of curious to see how how these uh, the tracks of these guys progress in the next month or so. Uh, the the term big spring to me just it can be like obviously you want everyone to have a big spring. You want everyone to have a, a nice time. I'm more just thinking like. Uh, who, who, like I, who I'm watching out for the most, like what intrigues me the most, which players. And um, I also, at the end of it, I have some honorable mention guys that could have made the list, but they're not quite as intriguing as the top five, but I'll, I'll mention them too. So we'll have a, a big talk here. It should be kind of interesting. And so I'm glad you brought up your list from a few weeks ago. So this is kind of the, uh, the mirror list. You went offense, now we're going to do defense. So it's kind of evens each other out. So at number five, True freshman, incoming freshman, cornerback, Latrell McCutcheon. And McCutcheon was originally committed to Alabama, changed his mind, and he's now on campus in Oklahoma. And at six foot one, he's the second tallest corner on the roster behind Joshua Eaton. And technically, he's the third tallest corner right now if you want to throw Justin Harrington into the mix, who's been working out at corner in the spring, because Harrington's 6'3". We talked about him a lot last week. Now, we all like length, we all like height on the outside, and since the start of 2015, Parnell Motley and Jordan Thomas are the only two Oklahoma corners to play significant snaps at six foot tall.
3: Nobody has been over six foot tall. And, like, and Parnell Motley's not six feet tall. <laughs> so Yeah,
0: I, I, I think we've learned with Kyler Murray, and really it's not just Oklahoma, but I think a lot of places fudge you know height and weight and that's just normal that's John Thomas board. was for
3: sure uh, yeah, Parnell was, Motley was, no way
0: I never yeah I was shocked when I saw he was six foot I, I thought for sure he was shorter than that I was up close by with him many a time and he, he was I guess he was probably about my height because I'm, I'm about six feet with shoes on eh, I don't know he might have been six foot with cleats um, but so yeah that not a whole lot of tall players in the last six years and now we got McCutcheon in there. You got Eaton. Uh and then heck if Harrington ends up being a corner, that's a massive corner. But anyways, back to McCutcheon. He was the first name that Alex Grinch brought up last week when he was talking about the freshman on campus. You heard the sound bite in the opening take. I know McCutcheon was one of your favorite guys coming out of this 2021 recruiting class grant. Uh so I I will say I finally put on some of his huddle highlights to watch what he looked like. And My immediate reaction after watching about six, seven minutes or so is that I expected more. I expected more from him. And he had been built up in my mind quite a bit. I don't know. I mean, by you a little bit, by other people I've talked to. Not so much by the coaching staff because we haven't heard as much about the coaching staff or from the coaching staff on him. Uh, I honestly was not blown away by what I saw on tape, and here's why. I I do think he knows how to play corner, okay, so that's good. But the plays I watched – it didn't seem like he was going against very good competition. And for context, McCutcheon, he played 4A ball in Austin, Texas. And I'm sure 4A Texas high school football probably compares to the highest class of high school football in, in a lot of states. I'm sure it does. I mean, I've, I've watched 4A Texas high school football when I was in College Station for a couple of years. Uh, College Station, those schools around there were 5A. There were some 4A schools around. I didn't watch as much 4A as I did 5A it's it's there's some good football in there obviously I mean it's Texas high school football but there's also some not not very good football Um, so that's some context on the background of it I I'm not going to knock him too much for that though because recruits and players come from all different spots and playing in Texas is always a good thing Uh, but what I guess what I'm trying to say is that he didn't look like he was challenged a whole lot one-on-one from the time that he was up against wide receivers Uh, the quarterbacks didn't look to be all that impressive he was going against. Uh, I wasn't thrilled with his technique on a few plays. He was allowing some wide receivers to get outside of him while he would read the eyes of the quarterback. But you know, ultimately, he was just so much better than everybody else that he wasn't ever burned uh, by his opponents and they, they couldn't take advantage of him get outside and go deep and stretch the field because he could just make up for because he was just better than them uh what's that going to look like in college i don't know Ho- hopefully it's not going to be an issue in college because that's just one of those things that he got away with in high school that's what i'm hoping for uh what did i like about his tape i think he has great awareness uh you know i said a second ago he he's, i saw him reading the eyes of quarterbacks quite a bit Saw, saw that. He looked very comfortable in zone and man coverage. Saw him jump a couple of routes, get interceptions, which is always a great sign. He had some good hips. Uh, that's, you, know, you look at hips a lot for DBs. You don't want them to be stiff. Looked like a good man-to-man guy. But again, I'm not sure of the talent that was lined up opposite of him in the videos that I watched. And then lastly on him, he looks to be somebody who's not afraid to come up and help in the run game. He can tackle a little bit, he can tackle a little bit, and so I hopefully, hopefully that translates to Oklahoma because it's never a bad thing to be a good tackler. So, Grant, I'm interested in how McCutcheon progresses this spring. Does he have the chops to legitimately challenge Woody Washington, legitimately challenge DJ Graham for a starting spot? If not, does he have the chops to be that third corner instead of maybe Jaden Davis or maybe instead of Eaton? This is something that we'll be watching out for, we have to stay tuned for, and I'm interested. So, Grant, what do you think? I have a question
3: for you let's say let's say i hadn't hyped up mccutcheon said i was really excited for him let's say the coaches hadn't really mentioned him at all would he be on this list after you just watched his tape with like without being prompted do you think no he wouldn't okay no he wouldn't and so i i do i do just want to point out that you had really really similar criticisms of delarian turner yells film uh, because he was he played three A I think like, he was more way down.
0: Yeah, yeah. And my my criticism, mostly of D T high school film that I saw, was there was very little plays of him actually playing the pass. It was all him coming downhill and making tackles, which we've seen in college. He's pretty good at. Uh, I I just I could not get a feel if he could cover in college. Uh, there's plenty of plays on McCutcheon's tape of him covering and playing pass coverage, and he's fine. He's good. I just I don't know. The, the level of competition he's going up against. It's, he's successful. It's a highlight tape, so obviously it's all good. But that's a good question you ask, because no, I, I don't think he'd be on this list if, if I hadn't really heard much about him, if you didn't talk about him, if, if he wasn't mentioned. Maybe even if he was mentioned as like, the third or fourth or fifth guy that Alex Grinch brought up I, I probably like for example I haven't looked at Jordan Mukes's tape yet I know he's a local guy in Choctaw but I'll be honest I didn't see a whole lot of Choctaw even though they're close by haven't watched his tape yet even though he's been getting a little bit of publicity that's not the right word he's been getting a little bit of uh talk so far in in practice so uh good question though no I, I don't think I would have had him on this list
3: I kind of maybe I'm just partial to uh to freshman cornerbacks from from Austin, Texas. You know, I it's it, and you know that's that's a deep cut. Derek Strait was from Austin, Texas as well. Um, and which I yeah, said Dust, on the uh, yeah, Dusty
0: DeVorchet made that made that uh, comparison, not comparison, but he he brought that up too, like a while back. Sorry, go ahead.
3: No, it's totally okay. Um, that's the thing. I, I guess maybe when I was watching the high school tape, it was just it was the coverage that really stood out to me. Um, like I said, I I thought he looked smooth, and I just thought he looked really comfortable. Like it, there was just no possible way. That any of those receivers were going to get the best of him, it was kind of like that. There was swagger, there was confidence, um, and also, I mean, there, he's got a good pedigree. He's he's tall, he's long. He was an original Alabama commit, which means it wasn't BS. It was a committable offer. He was committed. Um, that's that's you know that carries a lot of weight in my mind. So, and that's that's an addition to his high school tape as well. So, God, and to me, like I'm not. I'm not really expecting Latrell McCutcheon to come in and be, and be awesome, be great. It wouldn't be unprecedented if he came in and got a lot of playing time. Jaden Davis played a ton his, his freshman season um, and played well for the most part until kind of the, you know, the latter quarter of the season. We'll see though. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, if all those other guys who, who have already been in the program, if Washington Graham, Jaden Davis, I mean, if those guys take a step up, that's just going to raise the competition level for everyone else too. Um, and the thing is, if a guy is special, it's going to happen quickly a lot of the time. And, you know, we're not, especially now, I, I think that's, that's, that's the case for defensive backs and wide receivers now, because that all they do is seven on seven stuff. So they're, they should be comfortable. It should be something that that's kind of second nature to them. And if, if, if this system is good and you know speed D really has established itself in the program maybe you know once Latrell McCutcheon gets into that environment if he's a if he's special then it's gonna be hard to keep him off the field and so like there's going up and down I mean there's there's a lot of examples in in recent college football history of freshmen coming in at defensive back and playing really well and you know I mean Derek Stingley is kind of the first one that's that sticks out and that's that's definitely a bit of a uh that's an outlier a bit because he's he's amazing uh but it's not it's not unprecedented and so we'll we'll see what happens i like i said not expecting him to come in and be awesome right away i'm just excited that there's a guy who i think i mean in 2019 he probably would have come in and played right away i'm excited that that doesn't have to be the case now right Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and i mean obviously everything i said doesn't mean i don't you know he's he's, he's going to be bad or something. It's just that's what I saw in the six seven minutes of high school tape. And Grant, that was from his senior year. There's there's you know it's three four five months ago or whatever it was. And now he's got college coaching and he's coming in and it sounds like he's playing well. So I you know I, he may have already taken a bit of a jump. And he may, he may be one of those guys where it's just it, I don't know. It just that it, it didn't he wasn't at, let's put it this way. I had watched. Billy Bowman last week and he jumped off the tape a lot more to me than McCutcheon did and there's another guy that I'm going to bring up later that I just watched from high school that I am like whoa okay um, this looks and this is such a cliche these days but this guy looks different and
3: I'll get to that down the line so maybe that That's also a good is tease. affecting my it's a good tease I'm not sure who you're yeah. talking about I'm, I'm now excited to see that uh who you're yeah, and, who you're and, talking and so I and this is um maybe going off a little topic here, but I mean, we're talking about the secondary. So what do you think about this idea? This may be a stupid idea. I don't know. It's just a, it's a thought that popped into my head. With the experience coming back in the secondary, theoretically, guys should be comfortable in their positions of what they're supposed to do, their responsibilities and whatnot. Does that experience in the secondary, does that free up Alex Grinch... Uh, and, and and manning to think to maybe say, hey, maybe these true freshmen aren't one hundred percent ready to come in and, and do everything on the defense. But do we have enough established with this experience in the secondary that maybe we can still carve out a role for these freshmen to come in and do the one thing that they do really well? So like is it is it possible that, you know, let's say Latrell McCutcheon is he, he's struggling to get maybe the zone coverage, maybe some of the calls and stuff like that. But in practice, he is just sticky as hell and doing really well in man coverage. And like this is, this is why I'm asking you, because I don't know if this is a thing in football. Does, he, does that make it more likely that Alex Grinch is like, hey, man, I got, I got these four or five other guys who know exactly what they're doing. I don't got to worry about them. I can throw Latrell McCutcheon out there and say, hey, just take that guy on, man to man. And that's, that's all you need to do, all you need to worry about. Um I don't know. That's that's just something I'm throwing out cuz like it's you know it's it's theoretically possible that you're physically ready to play but not exactly mentally ready to play but you still have some traits and some skills that can be useful for the defense. Yeah, I think I know what you're getting at.
0: It seems like the most logical scenario where this could potentially come up is if for some reason you think that a guy like Latrell McCutcheon is a really good man-to-man defender, but he struggles somewhere else. But you think that he would be effective just shadowing somebody on a different team, maybe for a couple of series or two, or I mean, not enough for the full game. And whether or not that makes sense or not, is that is that like a scenario that you're envisioning of like, oh, what if this guy
3: could come in and? Uh, man go man up against yeah i'm thinking like i'm thinking situationally you know i mean you we it's you know get get some of your more talented guys on the field this is this is you ask them to do
0: something very simple because exactly uh, they 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 do you
3: know it's something that they do well but this Um. is an idea that is just very much in its infancy and so like nobody should take this as why aren't they doing this it's just i'm i'm kind of just trying to spur on discussion My initial thought is
0: no, because, one, this defense is so simple. Everyone says it over and over again. And it's just a a nickel defense, and then, you know, at times they'll bring in a a dime, they'll bring in an extra defensive back. And I just feel like their nickel base, I mean, they're going to have their five guys that they like a lot, and they're going to want them out there. So I suppose then you have your dime player that comes in. And a lot of times, you know, that has been Jaden Davis, uh, Woody Washington at times before he was starting. Uh, I think D.J. Graham kind of was that for a little bit, you know, and, and Trey Norwood was, I guess, before he started playing a lot more than Nickel. And so you kind of just have like that that Joker type player that you plug in as your sixth defensive back. And then I guess crazily, I don't recall Oklahoma putting seven guys, seven DBs on the field a whole lot, but that's maybe a thing. But that's a I guess Brent what i trying Venables to get at,
3: thing for sure. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. I just I don't see you know Alex Grinch. He hasn't shown any evidence that he's some guy that would take, you know, his five main players. Like one of them randomly off and put somebody else out there just for a specific th- thing. We haven't. I mean, maybe it's because he can't do that or he hasn't been able to do that. But I, I don't really know of. Uh, and this is my ignorance of the, of the, of coaching. I, I maybe there's some coaches that do, that do that. I, but that's again my initial thought is I just don't see that being maybe being I'm, a thing. I, maybe
3: I, I'm I, being a little too galaxy brained there, and because I mean the more realistic scenario is that he's just in some packages, whether or not it's with the twos or the threes, stuff like that. You know how we saw Joshua Eaton this year, for example, and, and DJ Graham before he took over the, st- or, uh, you know, before he took over the starting role, one little note on DJ Graham, um, I actually went back for the first time and sort of rewatched a bit of the, uh, cotton bowl. And I, this is just a random thought. Um, but DJ Graham is just, I am I'm really impressed by how smoothly he moves out there. Um, and he just looks like athletically he belongs, and uh, I thought he looked a lot like Aaron Colvin out there, um, and that's that's very good. If that's the case, if he's you know, if he's a, if he's another Aaron Colvin, that is that's awesome. That means one of their corners is very good. So,
0: all right. So number five was Latrell McCutcheon. On to number four on my list of defensive players that interest slash intrigue me, and number four is now current cornerback Justin Harrington and. I think Grant made a good observation last week uh, when you and I were talking about Harrington uh, working at corner, and and you said, hey, you know, maybe him playing there is telling us that we should maybe pump the brakes a bit, and you know, maybe he's not quite ready to be the guy that we were hoping he would be before uh, before he got hurt in 2020. And I I think the idea behind your your thinking of that is that well, we all thought that Harrington was looked at as a safety or a nickel in this defense, not a corner. And Oklahoma seems to have a ton of depth at corner with Woody Washington, obviously, and D.J. Graham separating themselves at the end of last year, Then the aforementioned Jaden Davis. Uh, you got Eaton, also McCutcheon as well. Who knows? You know, So where does Harrington kind of fit in with all of those other cornerbacks? Uh, is he actually out there, like right now, is he competing for a starting spot? Or is he somebody that's a depth piece? And I don't think we know the answer to that question right now, but I am just interested to see what he looks like when we finally see him play in the spring game. And you know, before then, I am obviously I am just kind of curious to find out, you know, what Alex Grinch and maybe Roy Manning uh, have to say about about uh, Harrington as as spring ball continues.
3: I will point out though, Lee, because I am on, or I was just on the roster on the website you know, Woody Washington, DJ Graham, Jaden Davis, Joshua Eaton, all of those guys are specifically listed as cornerbacks. Um, on the roster, Justin Harrington is listed as a defensive back, along with Key Lawrence, right, right. Kendall Dennis, uh, Jeremiah Cradell. And so, I typically that, you know, that doesn't say everything, but a lot of the times we know that that says a lot. That means that they probably are, you know, they're not pigeonholing him into one position. And we know that you know, this, this program, especially under Lincoln Riley and, and a lot, you know, this new coaching staff as well, since he's been here, they, they tinker a lot in the spring. They do a lot of weird stuff. They try to cross train people. They try to get people familiar with different positions. Um, that's smart. That You know, that means they, you know, they they'll know the defense a lot better. And so I, I, I think I'm still with everyone and hoping that he's he's the nickelback. Uh, like, I, I just I think that size plays really well. Um, but still, at the same time, and if they're uh, they're talking up Jeremiah Cradell and so that that possibility doesn't seem extremely likely. So, um, because I'm I'm just I'm thinking, what is the most likely position to him get you know getting on the field? And because it felt like Graham and Washington had those corner spots just on lockdown so much at the end of the last season, it just doesn't seem particularly realistic that that's where he's going to break through. And so that sort of that kind of leaves open that you know the Pat Fields position maybe, um, where of course I mean we want I think everyone's sort of criticism right now is that they want more athleticism and length and size at that position. Um, And so I, this isn't everything this, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean anything, but if you've been listening to this podcast the last four years, you know that I, I love to get a good look at these guys who are new to the program just, you know, to see if they're physically ready, because I think a lot of the times you can tell just by looking at pictures and whatnot, you know, the football team has done a pretty good job of releasing pictures from these spring practices and this is this is an extreme spring football topic. I'm talking about pictures of course. Um but I you know Justin Harrington is every bit of 6'3" 220 that they say he is. if you go there's there's three pictures of him, you know, from the practices from yesterday and he looks very tall and very long and he has just beautiful dreadlocks hanging out of the hanging out of his helmet. I really hope he doesn't ever get rid of those. Dreadlocks are beautiful. Got a. Uh, it reminds
0: me of Quentin Carter from the 2008-2009 team. That's a, one of the That's an interesting a great, Yeah, that he's yeah.
3: A, he's kind of like a, he's kind of like an Isaiah Thomas like person. he didn't play a lot his first 3 or 3 or so years on campus. And then as well, soon as he, he a stepped a on Juco the JUCO guy. I don't think he wasn't was he a, Juco a JUCO guy. Transfer? I don't no? think so. Okay. Um, and as soon as he was a starter, he was an All-American, which you know is not that's, that's kind of weird. Quentin Carter, he's an oft-forgotten uh, All-American at OU, I think. Oh,
0: man, I love Q. He was good. He was a great safety. Yeah, he obviously, was, yeah. All-American.
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah, in 2008, 2009, he was, he was really good both of those seasons. All
0: right, so moving on to number three on my list, and I'm sticking, uh, sticking in the secondary with defensive back new player transfer key lawrence now the question i have for him and i talked about this i think a little bit on the last show and maybe previously but is lawrence competing with jeremiah Cradell and billy bowman at the nickel spot that's the question i have or you know is he going to be someone who stands out in place of pat fields at free safety this spring you know what if he's actually more of a strong safety and DeLarian turner yell gets pushed a little bit you know th- we haven't heard a, a lot Really, if, if anything at all about Key Lawrence uh, in the first week plus of spring ball, he's a player that I envision earning a lot of. Or I, I should say, I I envisioned him, and I still kind of do, earning a lot of snaps in 2021, uh, if not becoming, you know, maybe a full-time starter, winning one of these positions. Uh, granted, I've my thoughts on that have kind of changed a bit because, again, after the first week and a half or so, I haven't heard a whole lot about him. Uh, but the question is, you know, where would he be? Where does he fit in? I, I don't know. You know, if is he going to make it really difficult for Pat Field to stay on the field? Uh, is he going to make it difficult for Delarian Turner-Yell to stay on the field? What about Nickel? Is he actually more of a nickel, and is he going to challenge Cradell and Billy Bowman? Uh, you know, if, if he's on the field, I think that would be a great sign for this defense because I, th- I think he's another one of those guys that qualify as talented, bigger, size, looks physically ready in the back end. Uh, I, I think that would be the case. Granted, there has not been, or there was not a lot of film on him at Tennessee last year to kind of go off of. He played sparingly, and I watched a couple minutes of his high school tape. But honestly, the first two minutes of it was him playing running back, and I was like, eh, I, I don't got time for this. I, I'm not going to scrub through and try to find him playing, playing defensive back. So I, I gave up on it. So that number three is Key Lawrence, and I'm just, I have no idea, you know what what they have in mind for him and but in my mind though i think that he's going to be playing somewhere like playing a lot of snaps
3: i agree i, I think we're going to see a lot of them this year um and that's that's completely based on intuition there's no inside knowledge there uh it's a, it's a feeling um and just I mean, he's a you know he, he kind of checks all the boxes he checks the athleticism the size the length uh he's already you know spent a year in, a, in an sec program so yeah, I mean, as of right now, if you put a gun in my head, I'd say it's it's more likely we see more of Key Lawrence this year than Justin Harrington. But of course, I'm leaving open the possibility that Justin Harrington is just awesome and blows us all away, which is which I think is everyone was sort of excited for when he first got on campus a year ago. So uh, yeah, I you know Key Lawrence is is you're right. I, I'm glad you bring up the whole unknown about him because we don't know, and he's he is uh, he carries that same defensive back designation as Harrington does. And it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if we can essentially just read defensive back as nickel safety, whatever. Like maybe they want more people to kind of embrace that trade Norwood role because I mean he he was playing a lot more nickel, you know, at the end of the season. But there were times, right, where that kind of shifted into a safety position too. Um, and so they might, you know, they, they might try to have, you know, three or four guys who can competently do that as well, because that's just going to, that's going to make them a lot more, uh, adaptable. So I, yeah, Key Lawrence is a guy that I'm excited for. He's a guy that I think we're obviously going to be watching really closely in the spring game, not just his, his ability and his athleticism, but what position he's playing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and again, we, We'll
0: see where he starts, but wouldn't be surprising, like probably a lot of players on the roster. They'll move around and they'll play different spots. And that's just I mean, that's what we see in Alex Grinch's defense.
3: Um, And so, yeah, we yeah. And we want we want guys to come in and play themselves onto the field. Right. That's to go back to that, you know, which is going to be the theme right of this of this episode is that depth and That's that's the sign of depth right there. You You want guys who are new to the program coming in who are clearly better than the guys who had been there. And I think that's the hope with everyone. And I think the door clearly is open there with Pat Fields being out this spring. All right, so a
0: recap. Number five was Latrell McCutcheon. Number four was Justin Harrington. Number three was Key Lawrence. Now we're on to number two. And this is the player that I was teasing earlier about watching his tape. And number two on the list is, he's listed as an outside linebacker, but he's basically, he's, he's at the rush, rush linebacker spot. Incoming true freshman, Clayton Smith. And originally, I had Smith at number four. But then I watched five minutes of his high school tape, and I moved him up to second on this list. Okay, let's just, let's just say I'm incredibly intrigued by Clayton Smith. Uh, he, this is now where I'm getting into the intrigued part. Because... He was a Rivals 5-star from Texarkana. He played 5A ball. And after about three minutes of watching him rush past offensive linemen for sacks and catch touchdown passes as an outside receiver, I started to, started to laugh. Because this kid is really, really good. I, he, just, he, he looks like one of those elite freak athletes that we always see playing on Alabama or Ohio State or on Georgia, you know he's, he's listed at 6'4", 228. Nick Benito is 6'3", 234. So about this, the same somewhat bill, but then Benito's been in the program now, if this is his third year, Clayton Smith just got on campus. He's got some growing to do. Uh, you can tell by watching his tape that Alex Grinch, Jamar Kane, Lincoln Riley, all the coaches, everybody, they see Clayton Smith as as Nick Benito, as a Benito type player. And and it's not just me theorizing that Jamar Cain talked about it on Monday. He said that, yeah, I mean, one of the selling points was to Clayton Smith to get him to Oklahoma was, yeah, I mean, Nick Benito, you you can be like a Nick Benito type player. And so this is somebody grant that I think he can play right away at Oklahoma. I I'm, I'm excited and I am just blown away by his athleticism. I mean, okay. They've got him rushing the passer on defense (laughs) and He was strong enough to get through some offensive linemen, take them on, quick enough to just run by them a lot of the times, not surprisingly. Uh, And, again, this is 5A Texas high school football. But also, he was athletic and fast enough to be put on the outside as a receiver and then, like, running go routes and then jump balls in the end zone. So, I mean, this guy is a unique talent. And so after watching that tape, I am not surprised at all that Oklahoma – and as anybody would be, is incredibly enamored with this guy. So th- he, he jumped from four to two on my list.
3: Talk about a guy whose who's star rating absolutely matches up with the tape, right? And that's I mean that's what you want. And so I've said it numerous times, when you're watching the high school tape, the thing that I look for, I want guys who are just absolutely dominant. Guys who, who just shouldn't be on the field with everyone else, or th- everyone else should not be on the field with them. And yeah, I mean, one... When your five-star rush linebacker is also mossing defensive backs, you 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 probably got something there. Um, and so, the last handful of years, what what has the coaching staff been talking about? They've been talking about raising the ceiling, the athletic ceiling of the defense, getting more talent there. Clayton Smith is exactly what they're talking about. Um, he's I, and we don't know what's going to happen. We don't, you know, it's injuries could always happen. Stuff you know, other. Uh, outside circumstances as well but he's like yeah i mean i when you watch his high school tape he's one of those guys you look at and you're like geez man he looks like an nfl player like already and um he's he he is going to play this season and he's he's probably going to play a significant amount um talk about being like having special pass rush packages yeah that's going to happen with him i think you know him it's it's already kind of unreasonable with you know, Benito and Isaiah Thomas being on you know being on the same defensive line, at a guy like Clayton Smith, also with Jalen Redmond and Perry and Winfrey coming after you all game. And what's always been the knock in the playoffs is especially in the trenches, oh, you can't hang. They yeah. can hang this year. They can hang all day long with the big boys um, on the defensive line this year. and that's I think that's what's got me most excited is, you know, we we saw it over and over consistently last season. The defensive line was just playing better than everybody else. Um, even in the games they lost, the defensive line was eye opening and really good. Man, this is one one more year of them in the program as well, and they actually have spring ball. God, I mean we saw we saw the jump that Isaiah Thomas made with Jamar Cain being there. That wasn't even with spring ball. That was just over the summer. Man, I'm licking my chops. Like I mean, it's it's. They have, they really do. This defensive front really does have the the capability of being really special, one of the best the program has ever seen. Um, and I like that's we're all excited about Spencer Rattler. We're excited about the talent that is back on offense. If Oklahoma's is going to win a national championship, it's it may be because of these guys.
0: Yeah, and and more on Smith. Kind of similar to what you said earlier about Latrell McCutcheon. You know. It, cause, it's nice that he's not being expected or we don't, we're not thinking, oh, he has to come in and be immediately, uh, uh, immediately uh, be an immediate contributor. It, it's not like, oh, they're so bad at that position. Like, I, we hope that this guy is good, kind of like we were thinking about when, when Buki was coming in. It's like, yeah, they've been so bad in the secondary. We need this guy to be really good. Uh, with Clayton Smith... They're set. I mean, they're they, Nick Benito's in front of them. I mean, they got plenty of depth. It's not like they're thinking or Oklahoma's thinking we have to have this guy come in and play 450 snaps for us this year. No, I mean, they could they can ease him along. They can situationally use him when they need to and they don't need to just throw him into the fire immediately to where maybe he would get his confidence hit or maybe he would make a mistake or not. And things would be badly. They're not going to be relying on him so they can just develop him and he can just be a complimentary piece. If not, unless he's awesome, to where he's obviously somebody that oh yeah we gotta get him on the field a lot. And if that happens, then that's it's all gravy, man. So I, think I, think I think that rush. Kind of similar, I think that yeah. rush
3: linebacker spot is a really good example of what we're talking about with the depth. Uh, Jamar Kane and his media availability. He was talking about John Michael Terry and he was saying, hey, he played 300 snaps last year. That's that's 300 snaps that we need to replace. And I'm feeling really, really good that those 300 snaps are going to be distributed amongst Marcus Stripling, Clayton Smith, and Brendan Walker. And we're getting Brendan Walker was not bad at all when he played last yeah. season. He was, for a true freshman, he was out there and didn't hurt him. And that's, that's really good. And we've, we've seen Marcus Stripling and his motor. He's made plays the last two years. Um, it's starting to feel, it's, it's starting to look and feel really salty. Real salty. All right, that brings us to number one. And
0: for number one, uh, this is two players, not just one. And it's because it's a position battle. And it's, I'm mostly intrigued going into spring with who is going to win this nickel spot. Uh, Jeremiah Cradell It seems like it's Credell versus Billy Bowman right now. And credell has got the upper hand at the moment. And Jeremiah Credell knows that. This was him talking on Monday.
4: I definitely feel like, uh, well, I know that I'm the guy that that um, it, it's, it's time for me to step up, and it's time for me to make big plays, and, and it's just that simple. Um, I can't overthink it, you know. It, it, you know, I've been playing football all my life. Um, let me just go play football. Um, it's time, and you know, it's just time to make big plays. Again, I just gotta keep on working. I gotta have confidence and move around and walk around the field like I'm a one. Um, make plays and, and 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 have the confidence uh outwardly and and inside of myself to know that you know this is my position and, and i need to make plays and
0: be that guy so yeah it sounds like somebody that he's in his mind he's like this is my
3: spot come and come and take it from me he's been i mean that's he's it. he's he's clearly been told by the coaching staff that they expect a lot from him this year uh yeah. i think that's pretty clear so um he's like, he's he's obviously going to get the first shot at this thing and i clearly you know the odds on favorite I, I mean if it's if we're gonna we're gonna do probably a, a post depth chart, you know, post spring. Uh, he's he's obviously gonna be, you know, the starter at nickel when I when I put out that depth chart.
0: Yeah, uh, again, yeah, I think you make a good point. I mean, they've talked to him, he's done all the right things, he's made that jump. You know, he's entering his third year in the program, and you know, for the first time, he's got a legitimate chance to start and play significant snaps. And he was asked about Alex Grinch saying that you know, he, he, might, he may not have seen anybody make as big of a jump year one to year two as Cradell. And, and Cradell said that he attributed his kind of his jump from year one to year two to just putting his head down, working hard. And Cradell said that, quote, facts over feelings, facts trump feelings, becoming a grown man, you've got to get past feelings, end quote. That's what he said on Monday. Uh, and in order to get better, he he trusted the program. He bought in, and you know those are other reasons why, or other reasons that he attributed to his improvement. And so I am incredibly excited for Jeremiah Credell. Like I know, I'm sure Grant is, and everybody in the program is. All the all Sooner Nation. Uh, you know, Monday was the first time that we've heard him speak to the media, and I was struck by his maturity. And you talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the show, Grant, uh, the things that you liked hearing from him as well. And I'm gonna I'm gonna mention. Uh, re, you know repeat something that you mentioned at the top of the show is that you know he's from California uh he's a long way from home and like you said earlier you know whenever he committed to Oklahoma he told himself that you know this is a grown man move and there's no glitz and glamour you mentioned that at the top uh, he told himself he's got to work really hard and you know I can imagine that it's a pretty humbling experience for somebody and this is for a lot of athletes a lot of college football players and not just football but any sport Somebody who's always been playing, always been one of the best players on the field, on his team, maybe in his state, to all of a sudden be a scout team guy, you know, fighting for snaps maybe at the end of a game, you know, and that's kind of what happened to Jeremiah Credell, and he got on the field a little bit more last season uh, as he, he started making more of a jump, getting better and better and better, and we know he's got the talent. He's a four-star player. Oklahoma absolutely loved him coming out of high school. We remember Lincoln Riley cheering furiously whenever he – picked Oklahoma on I think ESPNU on signing day or something like that so is he the answer to the nickel position uh like Grant said I think he's the heavy favorite it's still ultimately unclear though at this time if he's going to win the job and so that's why I have Billy Bowman also on this uh, on I guess on my list here alongside Cradell because he's a wild card now because we talked about him last week I like this high school tape a lot I he's a player that jumped out at me I thought a lot more of same thing with obviously Clayton Smith. And I guess maybe compared to those two players, when I watched McCutcheon, maybe that also factored into why I wasn't as impressed with McCutcheon because I think Bowman's tape was really, really special. And I thought Smith was even, even better. And so can a true freshman though, can a true freshman coming in here, can he actually be good enough to come in and seriously challenge a guy like Jeremiah Cordell for this spot? And that's the question everyone's wanting to find out. And so I am super intrigued by all of this, and I can't wait to see how it all plays out.
3: Same. And, you know, that that spring game is going to be huge, obviously, to see what position they're playing. And, you know, you just you want to see those freshmen to see, like, can they hang? Can they hang with these guys? And uh, listen to Alex Grinch. He's saying, yeah, they can. And that's that's great. You know, you want especially with this being such a small recruiting class, the fact that especially these spring guys are coming in or acclimating themselves really well. So that's the, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go too overboard about Billy Bowman. I just, I, I'm just not sure yet because you know we'll see. He's, he had that athlete des- designation played both ways in high school. Um, and as I explained last, last week that, you know, that can go really well or then can go really bad. And so I do want to bring up, um, one instance where that has gone, really well for Oklahoma and that's Brian Asamoah who was I think he was recruited as a linebacker but he was also his high school team's bellwether running back as well um and I think that's probably the reason why he was only kind of like a three-star type guy and but you see now after he's been in the program for three years you can see that running back athleticism he's he's now able to use it you know at linebacker and we saw we saw a lot of flashes of that last year so you know, that's what I'm hoping. You're, you're hoping that he is a special athlete, and special athletes just get it a lot of the time. They can come in and they can compete right away, uh, especially at this level. And if this is obvious, like I've said this numerous times out here in this podcast, if he can come in and he can do that with the experience they already have in the secondary, it's just going to raise the level of everyone else. Um, and it's, it's almost to the point now where it's just like, you know, Things are looking pretty, pretty darn good right now. You just kind of got to cross your fingers and hope for no injuries.
0: All right, so that's my list. Uh, I'll recap it real quick. Number five, McCutcheon. Four, Harrington. Three, Key Lawrence. Number two, Clayton Smith. And at number one, I had Jeremiah Cradell and Billy Bowman. Now, I have a few honorable mention guys that I thought about putting on the list, but uh, I was a little more intrigued by the, the top five. And the first one... This is in no particular order. I just kind of threw him down when I thought of him. Uh, Isaiah Coe, another one of these incoming freshmen. The only reason I put him on there is because he was mentioned by Alex Grinch, and uh, whenever he was talking about the freshman class being great, and he's just another member of that defensive line. So I don't know much about him, but like I'm curious to see what happens with Isaiah Coe. He's a
3: he's a junior too. He um oh, oh he is he might be well he's a JUCO guy. Him and Perry and Winfrey were teammates in JUCO. Oh my bad. Because okay. Well, never mind. He's on the
0: list. Well, he doesn't count as being part of the uh, part of the freshman class. I, f- I thought for sure he was part of the freshman class, but I was wrong about that. Uh, yeah, but- So he
3: was, uh, yeah. Teammates with Perry and Winfrey, and Isaiah Coe had a had oh, okay, is, has, yeah. has 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 more impressive JUCO tape than Perry and Winfrey did. So in a way, then I guess that's even more intriguing because he's not he's not a fresh
0: college player. I guess he has experience, so maybe he will be somebody that can even. Uh, that can contribute
3: more than maybe I th- assumed he would because I thought he was younger.
0: So that's my bad. Uh, I'm just, interesting,
3: I, man. I'm just sitting here and just like I'm kind of cheesing like a, uh, you know, I'm I'm sitting here just smiling and sort of laughing in my head. I just I I still think like you know 2019 Jalen Redmond and Perry and Winfrey on the inside of the defensive line is not fair. And <laughs> it, it, like, it's this is. Of course, I mean, of course. If you listen to this podcast the last four and a half years, you know that I am I am prone to uh, to hyperbole. Jalen Redmond and Perry and Winfrey, it is it is absolutely not out of the question that they are that they are the best interior defensive line in college football. Those two together, or they have the potential to be. Um, I I, yeah, I think I mean, it's too early to I think yeah. it's too early to you know to say that definitively. But if Perry and Winfrey takes a step and Jer- and if Jalen Redmond at his absolute worst, is just equal to his 2019 self, that's the best interior defensive line in college football.
0: Yeah, I always have. Yeah, that's hyperbolic. I, I'm always going to give uh, the big boys the benefit of the doubt when it comes to comparing anything to Oklahoma, except for maybe like quarterback.
3: And, you know, I know. And yeah. that's saying, You know, Clemson has some studs on their defensive line, and they brought like everyone back there, too. So it's like I'm saying it's the, the potential is there.
0: So, okay. So my bad on Isaiah Coe. Thank you for straightening me out. He is uh Juco junior. So he's not one of the freshmen, but uh, that, that's good, though. Is he, he a junior? He is that actually, what it says
3: on there? Junior. Yeah, he's okay. a junior. Uh,
0: okay. So other honorable mention players. I brought this guy up briefly a while back, but uh, Marcus Hicks, and he's been, he's been hurt a lot. And he's a guy. I, do you remember? I'm sure you do. Like, I think we had a discussion at some point. We were dogging on Wichita high school players. And Wichita high school football oh yeah that was a couple and, years ago I mean Marcus Marcus Hicks is is helping our argument but I mean it's been unlucky because he's been injured but he was he was pretty highly touted I mean he was a guy that I remember when he f- was brand new thinking like his size is pretty good and I know he's supposed to be a pretty good kid I'm excited about this player but he hasn't done anything again because I think he missed the entire 2020 season with some sort of injury Achilles uh, tore Achilles uh, that's uh, that's, oh, see, the, that's tough yeah yep
3: so that that's kind of, I, i'm excited about marcus hicks too i don't expect him to contribute this season uh torn achilles now is 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 the new acl tear where it takes it, it takes a couple years to to get back to normal normal strength um of course some people are freaks and you hope maybe marcus hicks is a freak right man that's so yeah that's tough so do you have any more on yeah. your honorable mention list i got yeah, some uh, i got some guys who i want to bring up but i'll i'll, I'll listen what you got to say yeah,
0: uh I mean stripling. We talked about him just because he may, he's moving positions, so he's got that rush linebacker spot. And he's been he's been good when he's played. Uh obviously Jalen Redmond for obvious reasons because he's coming back. And then the last one I threw in there was Jordan Mukes, because he's a guy that's I mean, we talked to Alex Grinch the only time after their first spring practice a week ago, and he mentioned Mukes twice. He said, Oh, he had a great first practice, he was really good. So and I've heard from i believe dusty was telling me that he's heard that Mukes is looking good so far so jordan Mukes is a player that
3: okay let's is he good i i'm intrigued i will mention i i have you watched any of his high school stuff no i'd be curious to see what you would have you know have to say about that i like i said i thought i thought he it was clear that he that he was not a football first guy i i thought he looked kind of awkward out there Thought his length didn't really play very well on the football field. Um, but yeah, I mean you're not like, yeah, there's 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 smoke about Jordan Mukes. And so obviously you hope that it was you know, whatever I saw on tape was just kind of a weird deal, and you hope that his his athleticism stemming from basketball just translates really well. So that's my entire honorable mention list. Did you have anybody else you wanted to bring up that intrigue you? Yeah, you know, the the three guys that I, you know, I'm really interested in, in this, uh, in this spring. And I I already mentioned Brian Asamoa. Um, I, I'm I think, I think Asamoa was, was clearly the best linebacker on the team last season. Um, and that that doesn't mean he was infallible. He made some mistakes. There was, uh, he wasn't great in the Iowa state game for the first Iowa state game, for instance. Um, but he's one of those guys where he just, he, he has way too many flashes of, of just his athleticism and how, how quickly he can close and explode through ball carriers. um, and then the other two guys, I I I'm really gonna be watching David Igwebu and Shane Witter. Um, here's the thing. I I want those guys to step up to the point where Desha- where we we kind of think of Deshaun White maybe in Brian Mead type terms. Um, and that's not to say like that's Deshaun White has not been a bad player for OU in the slightest. I think we all agree he's been an average player for OU. Um, which is which is better than what they had seen in a long time, right, at that position. I just, I I think they need a little more juice there. I think they need more juice there. And I know you've kind of poured some cold water on on the Igwebu stuff from from 2020. I think I saw a lot more there than you did. Um, And I, you know, I I would even concede that Deshaun White was likely a lot more consistent than Igwebu was last year. But I saw Igwebu make a handful of special plays that not a lot of people can make. I don't know if I've ever seen Deshaun White make one of them. What do you think about that? No, I, I, I don't know if I've
0: and if I, I mean if I have, I'm, okay, I, my memories of linebacker discussion. My, my thing is not necessarily player to player. I, I think that's the one level of the defense where I'm, it, I'm not really impressed by anybody. I, I, I think I think has got the most upside of all of them. I think he, he was fine, but uh, I, I don't particularly think I don't I I disagree with you about Asamoah. I he's fine. I I think he's just kind of he's average. He's kind of just there. White kind of, I, I think they're all, they're all kind of just there. And then you have a, a way that does make a couple of flashy plays. I think of the cotton bowl. He made a couple in that game that were really nice, but the, the entire position, the entire level needs work. I think that is, that is what, yeah, needs work. I, I just, I'm not particularly impressed in the same way. I am with some of the guys, a lot of the players on the defensive line and then the way I'm impressed with a guy like Woody Washington and DJ Graham and, um, and even the, the play sometimes of like DeLarian Turner yell. I mean, I just I don't have any sort of um, loving feelings to where I'm like, oh, boy, oh, boy, of really any of the linebackers. I mean, and I'm with the aside from like the rush linebacker spot, obviously you got Benito. But I'm, I'm talking more of the, uh, you know, the, the middle linebacker in the will position.
3: Yeah. And I think I, I think they clearly need to get better in pass coverage. That's their biggest blind spot. Yeah. Um. And the Big Twelve, of course. I mean, that's if if it can be exploited, it's going to be exploited. So, um, I guess, yeah. I mean, I just I'm not I'm not on the same page with you as Awesome O's. I think he's an NFL guy. I, I think he would I, I think he would have been drafted if he would have come out if, if he would have came you out just, this year.
0: Do you just think he looks great in his uniform? I think it's it's blinding you.
3: But no, blinding he, I mean you. he he does look great in his uniform. He just he moves really well. Like it's he's fast, and I I like fast linebackers. <laughs> yeah,
0: I just but I. I, I just I recall a lot of times where just his instincts aren't really quite there. Maybe not going to the right hole, missing tackles. It's just I, I, I he's I guess he's I don't recall him uh, you know, making a whole lot of wow type plays. Whereas I, I think of Ogboibu, and I haven't restarted my 2020 rewatch yet. I don't I'm not going to be watching linebackers as closely as I watch the secondary. But you know maybe I'll have some more thoughts on the linebacker position you know later on down the line in the spring and
3: summertime. Because, I, you know, I yeah, one of my one of my criticisms, you know, honestly, one of the few criticisms of the defense throughout 2020 was that it did seem like at times there was a big old soft spot right in the middle of, of their defense uh, behind the linebackers in front of the safeties. Um, and actually, this is I this is kind of in minor now because I was rewatching the Cotton Bowl and pretty much any time that Florida moved the ball, it was in that soft spot over the middle of the field. And so, I, you know, they needed to clean that up. And the thing is, you know, if uh, Aguebo with his size and his length can be really good in pass coverage. Um and it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't really it it takes just kind of being aware. It, I I think it's more of a mental thing at this point. Um and so we'll see. Like I I just I I think the ceiling on the linebacker group is really high. I they just cuz I I like I said, I think I think Asamo is already an NFL guy. I think he's going to get drafted. Um and I Agwebu, I think, is kind of is is definitely heading down that road, and, and we haven't said a lot about Shane Witter, but he's a guy who flashed multiple times in 2020 as well. Um, and so, it's 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 you know, what's more important is it is it kind of just like the reliable consistency of Deshaun White, even though he's unlikely to give you any splash plays or any big plays or overwhelm you with athleticism or anything like that, or do you favor the guys who maybe at times can run themselves out of position, can maybe make some mistakes? but can also make the really great athletic football plays. I don't know. How do you weigh those things? Yeah. I mean, and you know me, hey, I'm, I come from the Barry Switzer school of most talented guys should always be on the field. It should always be that guy.
0: Yeah. I just, we're, we're, it seems like we're pretty far apart. I mean, I, there's not been a one time I've, I've seen Brian Asamoa and thought, Oh, that's, that's a, that's an NFL guy right now. I, that hasn't, came into my brain once. I, if I I think Ogbu is is definitely a little more NFL ready than uh, than him just based on his size cuz he people could move around, you know have some fun with him in maybe different ways. I Yeah, I just I don't know. I, I uh, just
3: yeah, I think with what Brian Asamoa is, just what he is, his athletic profile. Brian Asamoa is is kind of, with his athletic profile is kind of the perfect linebacker in 2021. He's fast. He can he he closes really quickly. He explodes through ball carriers and he's and let me say he's he's not great in pass coverage. He needs to get a lot better. He needs to get a lot better. Was that your do you have any other guys on your list that you want to touch on? No, I just I, I want to talk about the, the middle linebackers cuz I you know I think it's their development's important. It is. Um, like and Lisa, it was it was not a group that was bad at all in, in 2020. In fact, I had, they were good in 2020, but I think everyone everyone's kind of starting to get a little a little confidence, right? And you don't you, you don't want any weak spot on that defense. You want, I think we're at that point right now where everyone is, is, is really enthusiastic thinking, God, we want every level of that defense to be very good to great. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, the team in tackles last year. I didn't know that.
0: Interesting. Uh, All right. So the rest of the show got some news and notes. We've already talked about Marcus stripling moving over to the rush linebacker spot. So he joins up with Nick Benito, Brendan Walker, and also Clayton Smith, uh, that's a just that's a really good room. That's yeah, yeah. they're they're going to do well. So there was another let's see. There's I didn't have time to write down bullet points, but I, I wanted to bring up at least one more thing from Perry on Winfrey. The first time we've talked to Perry on Winfrey, I think I don't recall him talking at all last year. And I found one of his answers to be pretty funny um, in, in the sense of like, wow, that's I wonder how often this happens. So uh, John Hoover asked him about his his most memorable moment or his most favorite moment from a season ago okay and so he brought up that that block kick he had against Texas and uh so he talked about that and he was like yeah man the odds were against us everybody wanted to see us lose and that play helped push our push momentum but what was interesting because he started talking about the play uh and Winfrey said honestly <laughs> I wasn't even supposed to be over there <laughs> he said I saw number 75 was breathing heavy and he was tired. So I asked Isaiah to switch spots with me and I bull rushed the guy and I made the play. And so it made me think, oh my God, like how often does something like that happen? And I, I asked him a different question. I, I kind of wanted to follow up and be like, so when that happens, what do the coaches say to you? Do they, I mean, obviously, it's a good play. Do they say, hey, great job. Don't ever do it again? Or do they say, oh, all right, great job, cool. Like, I'm, stuff like that is interesting to me because I want to know how often do they just on the fly just change up whatever they want to do because it was a smart thing to do. I mean, first of all, great awareness by noticing that the guy was apparently tired. And then also Perion's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Perrion Winthropy. I'm giant. I'm just going to push this guy back and make a play. And he did. So I thought that was really interesting from his uh, media availability. I'm not sure if you saw that transcript, but I thought that was pretty funny.
3: I saw that earlier today. That that fired me up. <laughs> fired me up. And of course, like yeah. we're and and I was fired up when he blocked that kick too because I I that was right when he blocked that kick, my my nervousness went away. I kind of felt like they were going to win right after he blocked that kick. Um I'm just I'm so encouraged by the awareness. That is that's just what a great football play that is, um, yeah. and you know it's is not. And like I, it's. I think we've heard similar things. If if you followed football your entire life, I'm sure you've heard similar things to that. You know, and it's just I, I don't, I don't hear it that much ever from college kids. Thinking like he actually in in the heat of the moment, the game was the game was crazy. The game was in overtime at that point. You know, it was a, it was I'm sure really intense, uh, and I'm sure the the intensity on the field was like overwhelming. And he had the frame of mind to realize that the guy, you know, a, a couple of uh, lining up in front of Isaiah Thomas, I, I think the quote I saw was a, he said that he was he saw that he was sucking wind. And um, I, I'm not sure if that was the exact quote, but uh, I just that's man, that's heady. And like I you, you don't typically expect to hear that from your nose tackle, right? No, not at all. That's, so that was one of the
0: more interesting bits of information coming out of Perry on Winfrey's availability. I got to say, man, um,
3: everyone, everyone that is associated with this defense, they need to be careful. They need to be careful. Things like that train has been, has just been shot out of the station. Um, like, I mean, there, the, it's hype, man. There's a lot of hype there and uh, it's stuff like that. And maybe, and maybe it's just because it's, it's March and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking for any sort of morsel but that nugget right there—that was the thing that that fired me up the most by far of anything that the guys said. Um, I, I wish I wish it happened more. I wish like I, I wish more guys would kind of have would would talk about individual plays and what was going through their head. I like that stuff is way more interesting to me than any like the the cliche ridden things that I'm sure the coaches coached them to say. <laughs> so
0: I mean the mindset the um, the expectations. Remember last week I was. And I'm trying to get these guys used to the questions about high expectations. You know, I asked Benito and DTY and, and uh, who was the other guy? Isaiah Thomas, I think. Uh, yeah, so to go along with that, uh, David Agwebu said something in an answer to a, a question that he got on Monday, uh, actually from, from John again, uh, asking about the same thing, asking about, hey, what do you remember about 2020? What's your favorite memory? And so, the, what you know? What does this say about David Agwebu? He was asked, you know, what's your favorite memory of 2020? And he said, "Hey, I remember losing to Iowa State. The locker room, and the week following that, he just felt the intensity and the vibe of everything." He said, "He said everything we took for granted before, we just threw it all out the window, and we were ready to work." He said that the whole mindset was changed after that loss, and the team really came together. And you know, and you know, obviously the the Texas game and blah, blah, blah. But so I heard him say that, and I thought, okay, let's ask him about that. And so I asked Isaiah, I asked David Owebu kind of a follow-up question to him talking about how the whole mindset changed after that loss to Iowa State. Hey, David, I kind of wanted to ask you a follow-up to uh, your memory from last year about after the Iowa State game and how everyone came together and everything kind of changed for you all. Obviously, you didn't lose a game the rest of the season from there. Is it possible to continue that mindset into an offseason, into spring practice, into it, the next year? Is it possible to continue that that long through, you know, a, a game that ended, you know, last September? Yeah, I believe so
2: because that those those that Kansas State game and that Iowa State game is still in our minds, freshly. you know, because everybody on this team feels like those are two games that were taken away from us. Like we had no business losing that game. So it's not hard for us to keep that same mindset because a lot of the guys that are – Still in the locker room now are the same people that are on the field for about those games, so we we take it we take it personally to not not let the that grit and how we felt just pass by because can't go through that again this season
0: and so comments like that just further give me confidence that even though these are college kids and none of these guys have ever won anything, and I mean neither has anybody on the coaching staff really uh, it, so they they don't necessarily know what it feels like to win a championship, a national championship. They've won plenty of Big 12 championships. But my point is, when I hear stuff like that, at least it gives me more confidence that, yes, they understand the weight of everything that's going on, the opportunity that this team has moving forward. And they remember the feeling of losing those games. You heard him say that they shouldn't have lost those games. And whatever they did following that Iowa State game, it worked, Grant, because... They didn't lose, and they beat the crap out of Florida who didn't want to be there, but they, they took care of business. Oklahoma took care of business. And so hearing him say, oh, yeah, absolutely, that's still on our mind in a way, It again, it gives me confidence that
3: these guys know, know the task at hand. I, that's great. They should still be pissed off about the Kansas State game. Absolutely. <laughs> As a competitor, I would. I, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not pissed off about it. It happened. It didn't. Whatever. It didn't matter. But, um, yeah. I mean, that was that was a game that he's right. They had no business losing that game. Um, and I'm I'm encouraged that the attitude after the Iowa State game was not, "Hey, just throw everything out. Forget about that." They use that as motivation. And and like I, that's I kind of it's it's sort of a pet peeve of mine when people say just forget about what happened, because it's not it, that's not how motivation works. It's not at all. Like I, I think you know the best way to get better. Is to analyze what went wrong in those games, and then and then shape up mentally to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, and that's the thing. Like I, I hope, and a lot of the times programs right, they they need to use losses, and it just so happens that their last loss came at the end of September. And so, um, man, I just I I really hope they're still using it, especially in the spring right now. That should be like that should be one of their main motivation factors right now. Is is just screw that i mean screw those two games like that's bs and we're going to work hard to make sure that it's not going to happen again um that's the right attitude to have so like, i mean i know it's at this point it's kind of cliched but um yeah, yeah well and done
0: and I, and I do want to correct myself and I, and I i thought about it after i asked the question it's a small thing it's just whatever but uh the iowa state game was actually very early october so it wasn't in the, at the end of September. That's, that's my Yeah, you're right. So. You're, it was the first weekend of October. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it was everyone. no, no, I just I, I forgot. You know, it, it was you know, only game three. And normally game three is it's still September. Just last year was so weird with the, the giant amount of time between the first game and the second game. And then didn't kick off until middle of September. So anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, God, I had something else I wanted to say. Eh, maybe I'll think of it, but I have one more piece of audio I wanted to play, and I know uh, a listener on Twitter brought this up, and I'm let's see, uh, our old friend Sean uh, on on Twitter wanted to wanted to bring up Jamar Kane talking about the incoming freshmen about how they're almost uh, well they're they're all basically in high school still, and so it was actually an answer to a question I asked Jamar Cain, and I I the the premise of the question was. Uh, I just surprised nobody had asked him yet, but uh, it, there's a lot of other good stuff going on. Alex Grinch, we played the soundbite to him earlier about how hey, this freshman class is great. I'm going to put all these expectations on him. So I want to know, hey, uh, Jamar Kane, with your freshman in your group, uh, do you concur? I mean, is do you also think that these guys are kind of ahead? So you'll hear my question, and then you'll hear Jamar Kane's answer. By the way, Jamar Kane, great to talk to you. I, it's the first time. I'm sure he's probably talked before well his introduction press conference but i don't remember him talking much last fall that doesn't matter he's he's a good soundbite coach uh, to follow up from what you're just talking about you talked a lot about your guys already and you you mentioned a lot of the young players i know coach grinch last week was putting a lot of high expectations on the incoming freshman class he kind of joked around said "Eh, maybe not that smart but he wants to challenge him right you concur that maybe this freshman class you have in here maybe Little more ahead of where normally freshmen are at this point, right? Yeah, they
4: are because they, you know, obviously they're 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 here now and they're learning the defense. And then they, you know, the NCAA ups up the hours where we can actually spend some time with 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 the kids. So with between between film time and walkthrough time, and we're in year three of the sp- uh, of of this defense. Now the older guys know the ins and outs, so they're helping the coaching the kids up. While I maybe watch the play, I can hear a conversation behind me going on about the defense and it's a great conversation it's not a guy coaching a guy up the wrong way he's actually telling them what to do and how, how it goes and then I also got to do a better job of re- reminding myself that these guys are still in high school like they're they're still high school kids they should technically be in high school it's funny because Ethan Downs came up to me last week was like hey coach can I go to prom and I'm looking at him like huh and I have to realize like oh they should still be in high school I'm like dude go to prom like <laughs> Don't worry, you could take that Friday off. Like, you go to prom, get your corsage, have a great, a great, great time, but he's still a college kid now. But mentally, there's still high school kids trying to learn the defense, and then I'm on them, and it's just all new for them. But it's fun, man, I'm I'm, I'm definitely happy with all three of those, uh, those freshmen. Yeah, it's funny, you in the middle, before you start practice, it kid comes up to you and say, hey, can I go to prom? I'm like, what, prom? So, it's been fun.
0: Yeah, they got a laugh out of everybody. Uh, you think Ethan Downs is gonna be the prom king, Grant? as high school. I don't know,
3: they do that anymore. Like I kind of feel like I wouldn't be like I know when I went to oh, prom yeah. the prom, prom king and queen did not exist when I went to prom.
0: Yeah, I guess it yeah, at our high school it didn't. Yeah, they didn't have a prom king and queen. That's right. They only had a homecoming. They had homecoming and then the the winter snow days. The winter dance. So yeah, snow days. So yeah, I mean Ethan Downs, you know, he's from Weatherford, small town Oklahoma. If they they have it, I I wouldn't be surprised if he's the prom king. Uh, but also I wanted to go over just to be clear it's a very small group, but in his, let's see, in his group is what? Um, Downs, um, Smith, and then Ethan, how do you pronounce? God, Ethan Rollins, do you know how to pronounce Nathan that? Nathan kind of rollins Kabanga. Oh, Nathan, Nathan, Nathan. Okay, NRK, yeah. uh, NRK. And, okay, yeah, those are the three players, uh, the three incoming freshmen in Jamar Kane's position group. That's, sorry if that was
3: confusing, that's what I was trying to get at. So, sounds like he's happy with all of them. Right, because he has he, he has defensive ends and rush ends, right? That's his position group. Let's see. Outside linebackers, yeah, yeah. And and defensive ends. Yep.
0: So okay, so that's all the sound I have. Uh is there any more news and notes that caught your eye at all for, through this week, through the availability. We're by the way, we're obviously recording this Tuesday night uh before Oklahoma offense they normally talk on Wednesday so we're not going to have any of that unfortunately so if there's any news that breaks from Oklahoma's availability that will have to be saved for the next podcast
3: I don't I mean uh, I don't think so um uh one thing I do before we kind of sign off I do I want we should talk about basketball for a little bit um just because or I want to so because I, I think I think it's interesting but I, I think we I think we still got a couple of stuff on the run down here
0: Uh, Oh, that's right. Yeah, we got we got some more listener questions real fast. So let's got thanks to Travis. Travis got on our Facebook page today and put a couple questions. Let's start with the first one. He says, how exciting is it to imagine that uh, the Oklahoma D line lining up against the Oklahoma offensive line all spring, all summer, all fall? The the offensive line has great potential. Uh, We know that the defensive line is bringing back a lot. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, this is what you hope for, Travis. Is I mean, it's it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. Competition builds character, it builds talent, it makes people better, and you you got to hope that whoever's going to end up playing center now that Creed Humphrey is gone is going to get a, a good look from the opposing defensive line a lot to make him better when the actual games start. And then on the flip side, you you hope that. The offensive line, even though they're losing a guy like Creed Humphrey and Adrian Ely, you hope that the the returning players and the uh, the younger guys that got a little bit of play last year, like um, Rame and Anton Harrison, that they keep improving, and so it all just kind of combines to create a situation where you're getting the best out of, out of everybody. So yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a good. It's not necessarily a problem, but it's it's definitely a good thing to Oklahoma's put themselves in that, in that position in the trenches to where uh, it, it, there's really. it it would be a huge problem if things got worse or if they came out of spring practice and summer camp and fall camp as a, as a worse team, that would, that would be red flags everywhere, obviously, because they're, they're set up for, for good
3: potential. I like the idea of the offensive line continuously going up against an aggressive defensive line in practice that has stunts, uh, you know, stems, all, you know, all that stuff. So I, I, Yeah, I mean, obviously it's great, and everyone knows that you know Alex Grinch's defensive line is going to throw a lot at you. They're going to move a lot, you know. They're going to they're going to switch before the snap, or or move before the snap, all that stuff. And I, I, of course, that's that's just going to sharpen you know sharpen the pass rushing ability, all that stuff. And so when you do go up against teams maybe that don't have as as an aggressive a defensive line, you can kind of eat a little bit. And um, I, you know, both of us, I'm not sure exactly you know what your thoughts are in the matter but i both of us were pretty critical of the offensive line in 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 2020 or at least maybe maybe i was more so than you were um actually yeah i was way more so than you were and um because i and actually i don't think i don't think the offensive line has been up to ou standards the last two seasons actually i just think uh, i I think jalen hurts and cd lamb covered up a lot of issues in 2019 as well so I, I think, yeah, this is a big year for the offensive line. Um, those three guys who are coming back. And I mean, who knows if, if Swenson is, is going to be the main guy. I think we all, you know, assume that it's going to be Morris and Harrison at the ends there or at the at the tackle spots there. So I, I, I don't know what to say that. I'm yeah, of course, I'm excited for the for the trenches. They, they got a lot of talent and athleticism there. And, and of course, it's good that they go up against each other every single day that that can't hurt them. Could it? I mean, can that could no. be a fun thought exercise? Can you think of any sort of scenario where that would hurt both of them? I don't think so.
0: Well, ironically, if they if they they get hurt, they get injured. <laughs> that I mean, that's that would hurt them. They're going to be some players, and they
3: get I freaking yeah. hate injuries, man. And I like yeah. I've I kind of want to I've 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 wanted to say this because I I still like obviously I'm excited for the season, and I you know I I think a national championship is is realistically attainable this year. A lot of stuff's going to have to go right. Uh, but one of the things that needs to go right is that they, they need to be injury free. Uh, it's been, it's been so long since they haven't had uh, like a cataclysmic uh, you know, depth chart impacted injury in the preseason. It's been a really long time. And like, I know this is, this probably isn't a hundred percent correct, but you know, that, that 2000 team, they didn't have any injuries. They didn't lose any starters to any injuries that entire season. And like, I, it's, It'd be really cool if something like that happened again. I know that's not particularly realistic, um, but, man, this, they, they could really use all the good mojo they, they could get. And uh, it's, it's, it's time. It's, it's time for an injury-free offseason and season. And also from Travis from the West of Everest Facebook page, he asks,
0: who is wide receiver one? And he adds, I believe it's going to be Jaden Hazelwood. It's going to be a, ba- a bounce-back year from the injury. I mean, I think the easy answer right now for me is Marvin Mims. I think he's probably going to be number one just based on what he did last season. But would I have a problem with any of the big three, Theo Weiss, Hazelwood, or Trajan Bridges ended up being the number one? Of course I would not. And, in fact, I like if Jaden Hazelwood can get back to his pre-injury self, he certainly has all the talent in the world to become the number one wide receiver on this roster. I just think he, he came back. I, I don't, I'm not going to say he came back too early from his ACL. I, I think ACL injuries – you can come back from them relatively quick. And he wanted to get on the field. And uh, I I don't know what happened behind the scenes, if maybe he wasn't really ready or he just, you know, he hadn't practiced a whole lot, so they're not just going to throw him in there. But he obviously didn't do a whole lot aside from he had that big catch in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, and then he had like a couple catches from Tanner Mordecai in, in one of the games late in the fourth quarter, but he didn't really do much. Uh, but if he's able to get back to his old self, I think Jaden Hazelwood absolutely has an, has all the – Ability in the world to be the top receiver on this team, I just don't know if he, if he's going to be like he used to be. But I, I, I guess at this point, I'd probably just didn't go
3: with the easy one is Mims And so, yeah, I mean, if, if Hazelwood does emerge as the number one target on the team, that is that's nothing but positive. um And you know, of course, again, you hope that that's the case, not because of injuries and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, if Hazelwood takes that step and he is like, he's he's bona fide five-star guy and he's finally producing up to that level that's that's great but i, I mean i i definitely am am on the same frame of mind as you I, I just i'm and maybe i maybe this is just is 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 me kind of being in my own little bubble but i i just marvin mims is and, and i i understand he was a leading receiver and he, he made a lot of big plays last year but he feels kind of underrated right now to me um like i i just i'm I don't think people think of Marvin Mims like being on the same level as like a CD lamb and like they're, they're different players. They're different types of receivers. Marvin Mims was every bit as impressive his freshman year as CD lamb was his freshman year, every bit of it. Um, and I, like I, I really do think Marvin Mims is a faster, potentially more talented Ryan Broyles, And that's, that's not fair. That's, that's not fair. I like, I'm, I'm it's so it's, when I say Mims, it's not because I think like, Hazel was not very good. I just think that highly of Marvin Mims. He's, he's, he's going to be a first-round pick.
0: I'm not going to go that far yet, but I also think he's a good player. Uh, I'd say right now either Mims or Weese is probably the best bet. And then, hey, if you want to go with the wild card, if we're just going to do pass catchers, eh, I mean, there's a scenario where if Austin Stogner plays a full season, he's the, he's the leading receiver too. Uh, he has got great rapport with Spencer Rattler. But there's just- a lot of mouths to feed.
3: Yeah, if we're if we're talking about like feeling, you know, like just in terms of like who I kind of like feel like is going to step up and is is going to be like monster, it's Bridges. I think it's going to be Bridges. Hmm. But also, I mean, it's I'd I'd be happy with any of the above, obviously.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So again, thank you, Travis, for those questions. We appreciate you contributing to the show. And if you have a question out there, you're listening, just go to the West of Everest Facebook page. You can leave a question, comment, any sort of opinion, and. We'll do our best to address it on the show. So that is all we have on the rundown grant, but you do want to talk about some basketball and, uh, I'll just say off the top, I am, uh, candidly not quite as interested in this as you are, but go ahead.
3: Well, man, you didn't have, like, I mean, cause we didn't, you know, we didn't offer any thoughts. We did record a couple of days after they lost to Gonzaga in the NCAA tournament. We didn't really, you know, have any thoughts about that. And I don't, I don't have much. Gonzaga is, is one of the better college teams I've seen in a long time. um, Although it was a little, uh, it's it kind of stung a little bit finding out that Drew Timmy was down to 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 Gonzaga and OU, and he picked Gonzaga, which clearly was the right decision. Uh, but well, Drew I, Timmy I is did, I, awesome. I didn't that, know that.
0: Wow. Yeah,
3: Drew. He's awesome. That guy is that guy is very very good. Um, talk about like talk about Ryan Spangler just way way better, like on an NBA level, better. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no. Yeah. And if, of course, everyone knows Lon Kruger retired. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by this hire, um, and I and I think maybe one of the the main reasons I wanted to say something is because I saw, you know, I, I saw a tweet today, and you know there it, a lot of people were talking about it. Um, Vegas odds for who is going to be the next OU head coach, basketball, and, and top of the list was Mark Turgeon, and I just like I I just want to put it on record that that would be a really massive mistake for Oklahoma. That would be just a really, really bad hire. Um he's he's gone to the NCAA tournament one time in seven seasons at Maryland. Uh it's it's Lon Kruger very clearly is a better coach than Mark Turgeon. They would be they'd be downgrading if they went to Mark Turgeon. Um and I just I I, I kind of want to throw it out there. I I really hope they take a risk here. Um, and and go for someone who's a little less known in, in hopes that you find the next Chris Beard or Brad Underwood. I I think that is I think that's the route that they should go right now, um, because I think Lon Kruger got the program to a point of stability. Uh, because you know in, in the last couple of years of Jeff Capel, the program was a joke, was a total joke. They were completely un, you know, uncompetitive in the Big Twelve. Uh, so obviously Kruger's gotten it back to a, to a point of sustainability and to a good place this is the time they need to make their move and, and find a guy who can take them to that next level. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of share the same opinions as, as our friend Brady Trantham. He said this on his, on his podcast, uh, last week, uh, that he, you know, he, Oklahoma is, is, is one of the 25 best pro college basketball programs of all time. I mean, they're, um, they're right up there with, with teams that have the most NCAA tournament appearances without a national championship. And, uh, I, I, it is time for them to take that next step and be a perennial top 15, top 20 team every single year uh, with, with good athletes who can compete with the big boys. It's, the, the resources are there. You know, I, I know maybe the, the fan support is not necessarily there, but the fans will support a winner. And um, I, I, think I'm, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as a lot of just general OU fans is that when the product is good on the court, they will watch. Um, and I, it's when OU basketball is good, college basketball is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And, um, I just, you know, you and I, Lee, we have, we have really good memories from that 2008, 2009 season. And maybe this is just nostalgia, but you know, that, that Blake Griffin team with Willie Warren and Tony Crocker and, you know, Taylor Griffin and all those guys, that team was so fun. That was a really fun team. And then again, with, you know with with the healed cousin spangler and woodard core there i i loved that team watched every second of every game that year um and i i that's that's a feeling that i like but i i've i've come to realize that the product needs to be good and um i think i i think lon kruger had absolutely reached his ceiling
0: yeah uh again i i don't have as many thoughts uh, i i will say uh, my contribution to this will be on the lon kruger side i I listened to most and watched most of his press conference, and that is just that is just one of the the best dudes out there. Uh, i mean you can everyone says great stories and positive nice things about Lon Kruger i mean and it's all true he he is he's clearly touched a lot of people and just being a good guy and i mean obviously a, a great basketball coach too, but uh, i mean he he listening to him talk. <laughs> it's just like i might i might have texted you and told some other people it, it makes you want to be a better person listening to long crew because he's just he's done everything the right way he's so personable he's so nice uh he treats everyone with respect doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter if you're part of the media a fan a parent a player i mean uh it doesn't i mean he treats everyone the same exact way and he treats everyone like a human being i mean uh one of my buddies I used to work with see I don't have a really good Long Kruger did this story. I just I just have a general every time I went to OU practice every time he talked he was always very cordial hey guys how's it going how you doing how's everyone doing today like very nice like what do you need like so I mean very generic stuff but I, I people had their stories and my buddy Colin who works in El Paso he used to work in Lawton and he texted me this story and he would very rarely ever come up to Norman to cover OU stuff because again he was in Lawton, which is about two hours away or so. I'm hour and a half, two hours from Norman, and so whenever in the NCAA tournament, probably making that run, I'm guessing back in 20. Actually, no, he was working. Was he? At, was I working with him? It must. It was one of the 2015, years 2016. Run. So I yeah, Colin was. I was working with Colin then. So, anyways, doesn't matter. It, Colin went to a practice, uh, and he doesn't normally show up, and I guess he showed up a little bit. Uh, later and kind of missed part of lawn Kruger's availability and he got there kind of late and it was over with and he asked uh he, like I, I guess I lawn noticed that he got there late and he went over to him and said hey I, I noticed you got here late do you, do you need do you need help help with anything Do you need anything and my friend Colin said well yeah if, if you don't mind could I ask you some questions and he he did he asked us some qu- more questions and then after that was over with even though it was past the time he stuck around for another five ten minutes just asking colin hey like you don't come here a lot where where do you work at you know where are you from like where he said oh yeah, you know i'm working in lawton you know i try to get up here when we can and just just talking to him like he's and he's like the head coach of oklahoma basketball like he's probably got stuff to do but he's just hanging out just genuinely curious about this random person in the media that just showed up and he's like just being a, being a human being and it's a simple story but it it's just you know what i I should do more stuff like that. I mean, I think like, everyone kind of thinks they're a nice person. I think I'm a pretty nice guy. I don't know if I'd have done that. I don't know if I'd do that. But Lon Kruger did. Long- and so, if Lon Kruger can do it, then I I sure can. I can be a better person too. And so, I think that's kind of what I wanted to say about that because I just think, I think a lot of us are probably gonna realize we took his time at Oklahoma for granted just because of how good of a, a person. Or I mean, they never they got to the one Final Four and they made some tournaments, but they never went that far except for the one year. But ultimately, it's going to I'm going to look back and think, man, that that's just a great dude and it's pretty cool that he was able to be a part of the Oklahoma basketball program and he left the program certainly a lot better than when he arrived. So, I want yeah, to Yeah, he's one it. of
3: those he's one of those jerks that make you feel like a jerk and uh, and make you want to better your life. Exactly. Exactly. Jeez.
0: He's like one of those people where you, you think, "Oh, I'm I'm a pretty good guy." And then you see and you meet him and you're like, "Ah, I'm not that good of a guy." <laughs> he's
3: that's he's actually a really good person. Yeah, you know, that's so, he's one of those. Yeah, he's he's one of those jerks. I hope the narrative on Lon Kruger is you know obviously I, we we should celebrate his successes at OU. Um, and I, I think it is a little underrated how how bad the program was when he took it over. Uh, there was like no one on the roster. Uh, tiny Gallon and Tommy Mason Griffin had had just had completely wiped out the program along with Jeff Capel. Um, and so I, I hope the narrative you know on long Kruger is that he righted the ship, got the program to a place where they were capable of taking that next step. And I hope that's, that's kind of the story that's written in the future as well. Um, I got to say, and you know, I, I don't really have any inside thoughts on who it should be. Um, I just, I kind of want to bring up a little nugget that I saw in, on Twitter earlier today, Lee, that I, I haven't thought about this in 15 years, maybe long, maybe 20 years. I haven't thought about this. Do you remember when Kelvin Sampson was at OU? They practiced with a with a lid on the basket. <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh, I, I, you bring it up. Yeah, I, it makes me remember. Yeah, I, I recall that. I remember like, you know, little 15-year-old Grant was just, uh, you know, watching who was it? They, they missed the tournament, you know, for one season and then like Taj Gray and Ter- Terrell Everett showed up and they went back to the tournament. But I remember watching that one season where they just they couldn't score. They just could not score at all. And I was just I was raging because I thought the only reason they couldn't score is because they never make any shots in practice because they can't. <laughs> <laughs> they literally can't. They can't. I, I They're great at of offensive like a, rebounding, yeah. but they can't. They can't put the ball in the basket. Yeah. Uh.
0: Yeah. And speaking of that, I, I think you're probably hinting at that Houston game from last night. And I mean, I haven't. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I've watched a ton of Houston basketball ever since S- samson has been there. I've only seen them play in the tournament, you know, a couple times. But uh, watching that Elite Eight game. Against Oregon State, it boy some old Oklahoma Kelvin Sampson era memories were came back to me. Man, I was like, oh, this is this is what it was like when I was you know before I was in high school watching OU basketball because they were really good. They were so good defensively, and they were making these deep tournament runs, and they were winning these games. And it it reminded me, probably, I mean, this team, this Houston team, is probably pretty similar. I'm just a guess to some of those Kelvin Sampson OU teams that. You know, maybe specifically the one that made the run to the Final Four, and then got beat by Indiana somehow in that national semifinal game. So I, that was kind of a kind of an interesting thing as I was watching that Houston Oregon State game. It was a bit nostalgic because that Houston team, especially because their colors are kind of similar too. They're the white and the red. You know, It's like, guys, this is kind of like watching old school OU again in 2021. Did you have any of that when you were watching that game? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they looked like a, you (laughs) know, I, I think
3: when I was that age, when I was watching OU basketball, you know, I just, that was, that was my team. I was starstruck. I loved them. And I, I don't think I, I internalized how offensively challenged they were a lot of the time. Um, because I mean, you got a guy like Hollis Price, he was an all American and you're just like, I mean, how could they be offensively challenged? They had Hollis Price. They didn't score a lot of points back then. You know, I think that's why that final Four team was special is because they had a handful of guys who could score, you know, the Ebi Aras of the world and, um, uh, Jabari Brown, ah, Jabari Brown was awesome. Jason Dietrich, Darian Selvi, Johnny Gilbert. I loved the early 2000s OU basketball, man. This stuff is that's good stuff right there. But um it's my last thought on it and we can we can close up shop here, but uh this is probably just nostalgia speaking and it's just I I've seen the name thrown out there, uh but I, you know, it'd be really cool if Qantas White, you know, was was hired here. He's uh, from what I understand, he's Kelvin Sampson's, his, he's his top assistant at Houston. And I think, you know, that would be, and this is, I don't know anything about Qantas White's coaching career or anything like that, but just nostalgically and optically, that sounds great to me. That sounds awesome. And he kind of fits, he kind of checks that box I was talking about. And you know, I think they should, they should take a risk. They should find someone either who is from a small mid-major uh, or they, or they should, you know, take a, take a assistant coach on someone else's staff from a good program who is an all-star. Um, and I you know, I hope Qantas White is that. That would be so cool. How awesome would it be if... if it would probably make me feel really old, but um, I think it'd be really cool. Yeah, you make a good point, Grant. You
0: know, If, if they can't get um, Mark Few or Coach K or Phil Jackson, uh, Steve Kerr or Greg Popovich, I, I think you're right. I think Honestly, Qantas yeah. White's
3: probably the next guy they should <laughs> probably go for. You make a really good point. I do think Mark Few should be at the top of their list.
0: I, I Whatever, just, I mean... A good, uh, you know, Joe C can just
3: give him a call, right? I mean, just,
0: oh, yeah. Uh, or, um, or, uh, 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 Brad Stevens in Boston, um, maybe, maybe him too. He's probably up on that list. I don't know. You Uh, think, and all, uh, just, yeah, quantus White, sure. I, I know nothing about his coaching ability, uh, but just, yeah, for all the reasons you mentioned, that would be, uh, like on the surface, like, oh, that's cool. I, let's see how this goes. But, uh, But in all seriousness like the one guy that's it's not going to happen because there's no ties and I don't like this would be random but just considering what he's done the last couple of tournaments uh, that the dude from uh, Loyola Chicago like he's getting these these teams like into the tournament deep I mean I don't know like and the way they play basketball is so fine-tuned and technical but granted they couldn't score to save their lives and that's how they lost to Oregon State so I don't I don't know if he might be a, he might be the next type, like a Kelvin Sampson type, where uh, good defense but can't score. But I don't know. Like, Not
3: sure. That'd be a, yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like if he if, if he's going to move on from Loyola, it's going to be one of those like big jobs probably, I, I would say. Just like, because I don't know if OU has that cachet. And I, I also think that uh, he's, he's don't a – I don't know if – I mean, he has no ties. I, he's I'd a Chicago a native, Oklahoma. I think. So, yeah, I mean, it so. wouldn't surprise – Chicago native, and I know Loyola has put a lot of – like resources into that program and it comes from a, like a high school basketball hotbed as well. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if Moser stays there and tries to build yeah. a big, cause I've been, I've been down there on that campus. I went and saw a Wichita state Loyola game about five years ago. Um, oh, it was the year that Wichita went to the final four with, uh, Van Vliet and Baker and all that. Um, that's a they. They got a really cool little arena there on campus, and the campus is awesome. It's really cool. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he wants to stay there and and try to build something. But uh, you know, I mean, I mean, just what I got to think. Duke is getting pretty tired of Coach K, right? You think we can make a run at him? <laughs> 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 like right? I mean, he's they. They got to be. He, they missed the tournament this year. They got to be getting. Here, they got to be just really losing patience. You know what? Uh, what about this? Uh, you know, if Coach K
0: says no uh, you know what i'm thinking gino Ariyama might want a different kind of challenge he might want to move from the women to the men and i think maybe this could be the chance go after gino and just see what he can do in the men's side uh, he's already accomplished a lot with the women so i think that's the next call to you go coach k you go gino Ariyama. uh again the aforementioned phil jackson see if he wants to come coach some college ball and, uh, and i think quanta's I mean, white guess- should be fifth on
3: that list <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's I, that's enough. I, I feel like that that's enough basketball talk. Well, uh, I think, uh, think we'll talk Scott about Drew? basketball next November.
0: <laughs> what about Scott Drew from Baylor? You think? He, hey, come over to Oklahoma. Hey, what about Shaka Smart? Oh wait, he got the job at uh, Marquette. No, I guess he's he's already employed. Uh, that was quick, Yeah. I'm trying to think. Like what?
3: <laughs> if Josie, C- you think
0: Mike Boy- yeah. What about Mike Boynton? He, he just signed a new contract. You think Oklahoma can get him from Oklahoma State though? Hey, uh,
3: well, if Josie had had any nuts at all and I, I don't it's he'd go after rick patino phil jackson oh i was gonna say rick rick, rick patino and what i mean whatever if like i'm sure patino would be out in five years and they and there'd be tons of like you know uh, sanctions and scandals and stuff like that but if he comes in and wins a national championship i don't care <laughs> i
0: don't think i don't think joe casiglione's gonna go after rick patino hey man joe, joe
3: C may be retiring soon he should just like i don't know he should that should be his like his kind of final thing is like hey I just really feel like oh, OU basketball fans deserve a national championship. Rick Patino, come on down. We'll give you all That's the cool. money in the world. You can do whatever you want. We don't care. We're not we're just gonna turn a blind eye to everything. And you know, four or five years and out, fine, whatever. Just just get us to the just get us to the big dance every year and win one.
0: Well, considering Lon Kruger got on a soapbox during his retirement press conference and went in on the NCAA about how yeah, it, he's concerned about the future of it, and basically in, inferring that there's a lot of people out there that aren't really necessarily following the rules.
3: Oh, he he did that I, actually.
0: Yeah, I I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but just generally he, it was kind of interesting because it was like one of those things where it's like, oh, Long Kruger, he just retired, so he's now not affiliated really anymore with anything. So I I have never heard him actually like voice opinions about the NCAA, and so he he was he mentioned a couple times. He's like, yeah, thanks for letting me get on my soapbox here. Point being. The fact that Long Kruger felt that way makes me think he—I'm sure he was probably pretty much on the up and up—and I don't think Joe C is uh, somebody that would want to bring in somebody that's
3: going to uh, bend the rules a whole lot, like uh, some coaches allegedly do. College basketball recruiting is pretty seedy. It's—it's pretty—it's there's not a whole lot of not a whole lot of morality involved there. Um, you know, I this this is something though that that's kind of struck me while watching the tournament though this year. Is that, and I hope I hope this is a trend that continues. I kind of feel like all of this, you know, all the NCAA troubles and like you know the Adidas thing, and how it was like an FBI type deal, Department of Justice type deal. I hope that I hope that does kind of curb the cheating and and recruiting a little bit, because one of the things that I really like about this tournament is I in even the last four or five years of college basketball, I feel like the teams that. You know the good programs who don't necessarily have one and duns are kind of rising to the top. For instance, Gonzaga—they're only five-star players. Jalen Suggs. Um, Everyone else is was was like three or four-star guys, and they come in and they developed and they got they got better. Um, You saw, you know, the last Final Four team. Oh, you had just experience-laden, tons of experience. Um, And I like I that makes college basketball more fun. It makes it feel a little more attainable, doesn't it? Yeah. And and even though like really these these super teams that have all of the lottery picks, they don't like that Kentucky team is really the only one that ever won the national title. Um, and also, I guess that that Duke team that had like Tyus Jones and all that, you know, won. But um, I don't know. I, college basketball to me just feels a lot more fun when it's when it's juniors and seniors who you're familiar with, who have been around for a long time. Um, it just I, I, I feel like that's kind of the healthy state of college basketball. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's the reason it's crazy. It, it's I, I I'm one of those guys who thinks that the main reason why everything is so is like with the one and dones is, is just so seedy and not a lot of morality involved. It's the NBA's fault. The NBA is completely OK with using college basketball as their one year minor leagues. Um, and I, the, the NBA needs to needs they need to allow high school players back into the draft. I, that's that's very clear to me. Well, there's
0: rumors it's supposed to be happening soon. It's just there's been nothing official on it, because one of these upcoming NBA drafts are supposed to be the, the ultimate draft because it's supposed to be the first year where they're actually going to let high schoolers go. But then you also have the one and done. So in theory, you have like way more lottery picks than you normally would have. But there's still like, that's been a rumor for the last year, year or two. It's not going to be this upcoming draft, obviously this year will it be next year's draft? I don't know. I mean, there hasn't been any sort of official wording on it yet, but the rumors are that the NBA is going to going to go back to that and take away
3: the one and done, but again, there's been nothing concrete on that. That'd be really so, good for college basketball. Just, they should also they should have the same eligibility rules as college baseball too. You should have to stay for 3. I guess for it's for football too. Um if if like if you do choose to go, you got to stay for 3 years, but I think you can leave at any time to go to the draft. I'm just talking about like in uh, but um, I don't know. I, I think that would be better. I think it just it'd be better for the health of the sport. But I, I think in this in this climate where everyone is just kind of about yeah we you know we want the athletes to have freedom of movement regardless of the consequences yeah I I that kind of feels really unlikely. Uh, the last thing I want
0: to I found the quote from Lon Kruger going on on the NCAA just to close this out. So what he said is that the NCAA, this is quote from Lon Kruger in his retirement press conference, quote, the NCAA has to revamp, period. We can't continue as we are. Young coaches see violations of the rules and nothing happens, and that's ridiculous. I'm concerned that young coaches are taking that as a lead. And he also said that the NCAA is going to a gunfight with a knife. <laughs> and lastly, I really enjoyed this, to, to bookend it, he said, my dad told me, there is no satisfaction in cheating and winning. None. Anyone can do that, end quote. And that that line kind of stuck with me because it's true. Yeah, I mean, anybody can cheat. Anybody can cheat and win. It's hard to do the work and win on the up and up. That's the hard part. It's, it's the same thing. I mean, uh, anybody can... Eh, nah, I don't have a good analogy. But anyways, I wanted to end with that. That So yeah, that was uh, the most I've heard from Long Kruger on that stuff. So.
3: Kind of interesting. Sounds like
0: Lincoln Riley largely agrees with that. Uh, Okay, wow. Um, That's all for today. The plan will be for us to be back next week with more Oklahoma spring football talk. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee, and this is West of Everest.